Franco, a covert agent trained to survive in Vietnam. Nico has a sixth degree black belt in Aikido. And family in the Mafia. Nico's a cop with a bad attitude. Do you know why I love you? You don't live the way other people live. You're officially suspended this time. The feds come in, the doors close, nobody hears, smells, or sees anything. One man. You just made number four on the most wanted list. One obsession. I want to be number one. One rule. You guys think you're above the law. You ain't above mine. Nico. My Neil Diamond is also sometimes my Bob Dylan, so I can be like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of a, uh, uh, never seems so good, then it's like, you know, there was a house and the rise and sun. I can, I can see how you can do you it. You know, it, it fluctuates. That's why, I like, my Sean Connery sometimes turns into my Chuck uh, Heston, you know, like, uh, it's great that, and then it, or it's, uh, it's the apes, you know, talking like this. Anyway. So we're back. We're back for episode two. <sighs> episode two and a half. For we had our um, we had an extra come out last week. Uh, the Randy Jurgensen interview. If you haven't checked that out, go listen to that. That's him talking about the, the his uh, old friend and partner who passed away, uh, Donnie uh, Donnie Brasco, um, Sonny Grasso, and um, that was last week. A little surprise, and now we're back too for. Uh, uh, an official regular episode. We're in the February season. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Pigs in space. Featuring <laughs> Dion Baia and Jay Blake. Tonight's episode <laughs> marked for death. <laughs> so we're in February. You... <laughs> <laughs> I always loved like at the when you would watch a movie on like uh, Sunday. Oh, ABC? Yeah, yeah. I'd be yeah. like... You know, uh, Chuck Norris. Marked for Death, starring Steven Seagal and Keith David, will return after these messages. Or they make that, um, you know, will they save them from the evil Jamaican voodoo bossy? <laughs> Find out coming up now on ABC. Marked for Death. Marked for Brought Death. to you by AIM and, and Aquafresh. <laughs> and Nabisco. <laughs> Some kids. Fig Newton. Right in the middle of a caramella when I found gold. Um... So we're we're in February, we're in Kung Fu February. We decided to go actually go a little martial artsy for yeah. Kung Fu February this year. This year we did rock climbing, mount, mountain climbing February, Kung Fu February last year, and this year, uh, this year we figured we'd bring it back to where it all started. Well, I feel like partially it's due to 
since the inception of the show, since we started recording the show, there's been a little, but there's always been like, when are we going to do a Steven Seagal movie? <laughs> yes, because so far we've <laughs> Cause done. We did Arnold. We did, Stall- we did some Stallone movies. We've done some Arnold movies. We even got a Van, Van Damme. Damme movie in there. And it's always been like. We, we did a Chuck Norris. We even did, we even got a Chuck movie in there. We did an Eastwood. The only one we, we haven't did an done. Movie. We did an Ernest. <laughs> Ernest P. Worrell in there. <laughs> Kung Fu Ernest P. Worrell. We even got a Bruce Lee movie and a Jackie Bruce Chan Lee movie, movie A Jackie Chan movie in. The only guy, someone asked me recently, they said, have you done a Charles Bronson movie? I was like, <gasps> No, we haven't done a Charles Bronson movie. But aside from Charles Bronson, we for yeah, I, I, the whole we've even done a Dolph Lundgren movie. That was that we did two Dolph Lundgren movies. <laughs> <laughs> Dolph's well represented. Yeah. So um, and we've done you know we've done a handful of Sly movies, a handful of uh, Arnold movies and stuff. So there's always been like, when are we going to do uh, a Seagal. Steven Seagal movie? And it just hasn't been the right time. <laughs> and just like, well, it's like, well, we just did this, or we just did that, or you know, and also. You know, Dion is a it's a grew up a big Seagal fan. Yeah, and so it's there's also been that like, I mean, I think for anybody our generation, I would assume mostly on the male side of our generation. Yeah, although I don't want to exclude any ladies. No. <laughs> I can only go from my experience. Ladies and the that, max. Uh, you know that that era of action movie and that kind of like that late 80s early 90s era of martial art action movie sure where you had van damme they were you know you got brandon lee came on the scene yeah uh, shortly after this with rapid fire directed by the same guy actually we with, talk a little bit about the Dwight bad guy H. little uh basil uh wallace is also in rapid fire yeah uh but uh that, yeah, it's he, a very, it was a very important time, I feel like. Well, because we were... For our, <laughs> for our brand. We were, t- we were kind of segueing out of the 80s action movie. And then it was, you know, you had Bruce Willis. We, we've done a couple of Bruce Willis movies on here, too. Yeah. Um, we've even done Lethal Weapon. We did the Mel Gibson. You know, it was, you were getting those guys on the scene. And it was becoming, I guess you could say, somewhat more realistic than the 80s uh, action film. Although... You know, it was it was taking it in a different direction, and I feel like Seagal yeah, it was, was a different direction for sure. And Seagal was like a good bridge between like the martial arts craze that was happening. Yeah, that was that was not. I would I wouldn't call it a craze, but that little fad that was happening at that time. He was like a good bridge between like the diehard Bruce Willis, yeah. Lethal Weapon type action movie and like the Van Damme yeah. blood sport. He was like, he was a good like middle guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of that and a little bit of this. Yeah. I mean, you put it together and you get Seagal. Yeah. Um, and this is Mark for Death we're doing today from yeah. 1990. Yeah. It's only I, his third movie. I, I was curious as to, we didn't discuss it earlier because I figured I'd save it for this. I was going to ask you why did, why did you choose Mark for Death? Well, um, Heavy thinking from everybody, talking to people and stuff, and uh, canvassing the uh, yeah, you know, streets. sending out ballots. <laughs> I was me. I was call, <laughs> call, calling people. I was ringing people up on the phone. 
and I was like, "Hi." Take a quick survey. Yeah, it's uh, not not politics. Don't hang up. Okay, so Steven Seagal. Hello, (laughs) hello. Um, I was talking to people who that just filled that demographic you just spoke of of people who are our age or older and are reminiscent of the era. And I was talking to everybody about what their favorite Seagal movie is, and. um, my personal favorite of his is Above the Law, which is his first one. So I've always had a, uh, a special place in my heart for that. But everyone is always like, Mark for Death. That's the first go-to. Everyone's like, you know, Mark for Death. Because I would have assumed for me, maybe just from my point of view and also, um, like, uh, maybe Dave, but definitely Steve Hastings of the Brothers Hastings. He's a big Seagal fan. Yeah. He's a huge Seagal fan. And... Uh, and I just know that, like, for him, I think it's hard to kill. Interesting. So I, I thought you were going to say under siege. So I've always, in a way, I've kind of always assumed that hard to kill is the popular favorite. And we've already but, we, we've uh, made his also, first three I, movies. I haven't done, <laughs> I didn't do the kind of, you know, uh, polling that you did about <laughs> it. So I don't. It's, it's, uh, I feel like Mark for Death is his most iconic because of the, of the, the storyline and because of the dramatics and because of Screwface. He's such well, a yeah. memorable villain. Well, as Dion knows, I have a very difficult time keeping the titles. Oh, I thought you were like, I have, I love Screwface. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, for some reason I cannot, I'm always with, which one is that? Again? Yeah, I'm always like, which which one's the one with the Jamaicans? <laughs> that's that's hard. That's that's marked for death. <laughs> you know, whenever we talk about Seagal, and Dion starts talking. I'm like, which one is it? Which one's the one? Okay, and it's hard. I mean, because I they're all the, a very similar kind of title. Sure, and it's and a, some of those Van Damme movies are like that too. And like it's always sudden, the same. Uh, it's the same story basically. You mess with Steven Seagal's family, and then he gets retribution on you. You know, well, it's the it's the Charles Bronson formula. Yeah, you know, it, it and it works. It's uh, you know, you, Above the Law is his first movie, and then Hard to Kill, and then this one, Mark for Death, and he's rising as that's happening. And then after Mark for Death, you get Out for Justice, which people also love, um, and it's very quotable. I never really uh, cared for that movie until about. Five or six years ago, um, I met Steven Seagal because he came on a show promoting that uh, A&E lawman show he did, the reality show. Mm -hmm. So I bought the only i ran to the to like the uh the video store near near where i work and the only thing they had there was out for justice on blu-ray i bought it and i wasn't able to get them to sign it but i was like fuck it i'll watch it because i bought the damn thing and it was a really good movie and i was like oh for years how why have i not liked this so then after that it's under siege that's like i think he hits his height yeah you know and that's the most had, big budget then, he, then he's able to do after that he's able to do like a cameo and executive decision yeah he does <laughs> on deadly deal. ground and i saw on deadly ground is kind of like it, get, it gets a little too political where that's the one where he's with michael kane and yeah. they fight new oil he directed that one too. did he direct and i think uh, he might have directed that okay one. i might be wrong yeah i'm not the expert but. um and that would right around that time is when he's for the first time kind of starts losing the wind in his sails and then you get executive decision where you know there's a big spoiler alert in the executive decision and then after he's in executive decision man well he does i think under siege (laughs) two okay on the train which was the first movie like i i went on a date Ooh, i saw it with my dad (laughs) it ended up being like a ended up being like a group date yeah like what the fuck girl like, I think I asked Kelly P to go <laughs> to see it, and then it ended up being, like, me, Pete, and Chuck, and, like, Kelly P and, like, two of her friends, and we just all went to the mall to see it. My first girl date, I might have brought this up already, was um, the girl lived around the block from me. We went to go see um, uh, Secret of the Ooze. 
So we went out, but then we took her little brother. And so it was, the, the parents took us there, her parents, and then they went to go see Sleeping with the Enemy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the mom and the dad. And then we went in and we saw um, Secret of the Ooze, and that was the one where they had, remember at the beginning they'd have the claymation thing where the guy would talk to you? Play be quiet, make sure, you know, they did this really iconic, it was there for a couple of years where they'd show like a claymated, claymation kind of a stop motion guy and he'd be the one telling you to be quiet, don't smoke cigarettes. Yeah. This is probably, before cell phones, so you didn't... I mean, it was, it was probably whatever theater chain yeah it was probably showcase cinemas was yeah. where i used to see these movies and so that was my first date with a girl there um and then get back to seagal so after under siege 2 is glimmer man and mm-hmm. then i think around that time that's when he did the patriot and that's when we hit college and around uh 97 98 99 uh i was walking through the video store aisles and there was a video uh, there was a new movie out for Seagal, and I was like, "What the heck crap is this?" It's, it did, wasn't in the theaters, yeah. And it was, I think, it's the Patriot, and that's the first. Is I think not a Mel Gibson movie. Is that? A... Yeah, there is the Patriot with Mel Gibson. Um, he's not in that, right? No, no, no Seagal <laughs> is not. He's one of the English fighting for um, for his land in that. Well, there was that weird period when we got to college, which was the late nineties into the early two thousands, where you would see like. Stallone had like straight to video movies. Maybe, yeah. maybe they got uh, maybe they got distribution uh, overseas, but in America there was like a series, like a handful of Stallone movies that went straight yeah, to video. Sure, I think maybe even a couple of. There's that one Bruce movie I've still movies. never seen with Stallone, where it's like that he's a he's a cop and there's a killer in the in the snow and he's a yeah you know, eyes yeah that something one. I saw that That's yeah good. and then that was. Because right before that, he did the race car movie. The, the uh, yeah, and that, that was, was like a kind big, of a flop. Because Rennie Harlan directed that again, yeah. and they had worked together obviously on Cliffhanger. And that had made a that had got a theatrical release. And I remember that that did really well overseas, but it didn't do that well here. And then his next movie was that directed video, which was released yeah. overseas. There was also one with like Madeline Stowe, that where he was with Madeline Stowe that went straight to video right around that time. I can picture the box cover, but I can't remember. This is Stallone we're talking about here. And so there was this period where all those guys were starting to edge into the waters between the action movie landscape. Yeah, it was becoming very polarized. these guys were getting older. And also he had done that remake of Stallone of Get Carter. That that made it to theaters. That was good. I remember that being quite good at the time. Um, After The Glimmer Man in 1996, uh, Seagal does Fire Down Below, which is 97. And I'm pretty sure that got a... Uh, Maybe that's the one I'm thinking about that he directed. Th- that's the um, one where he... Uh, that got a theatrical release, uh, I'm pretty sure. And then after that, the next movie he did was The Patriot, which was the first... And that Fire Down, Down Below, was it was commercially unsuccessful, but it was also an, an environmentally conscious movie like um, On Deadly Ground had been. And then he does The Patriot, which is another environmental kind of thriller. And that was directed video. And I think they shot a lot of that on his, on his, uh, in Montana on a farm he had. He shot a lot of that there. Yeah. And then um, he started to get kind of heavy. Yeah. And then he started to fill out. And then he was doing other. And then once. And this is another thing, too, because I don't know how people feel about the direct to video or direct to DVD idea or market, but him and. Uh, uh, certainly another guy like um, Van Damme became like pioneers of the Asphalt Frontier where they were like freaking doing these direct-to-video movies that were making a fuckload of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they were really... And then... Well, I'm shocked to find out that 
honestly, and it's not for any, and I don't know why I'm shocked by it, but that like I am so, shocked that so many of those movies in the early in their career like this were like big theatrical movies. Oh, these were huge because I didn't see a lot of those. I didn't see any of those in the theater. Oh, no. I think the only Van Damme movie, the first Van Damme movie I saw in the theater was like Double Impact. Mine was Cyborg. And uh, and it was only because me and my friend Martin went with my dad and we were going to go see Disorganized Crime. And we got there and they're like, we don't want to see this. Let's go see Cyborg. I was like, come on. I want to see Disorganized <laughs> Crime. I went and saw Cyborg. And that's the last time I saw Cyborg in the theater. And the last time I saw Cyborg, and I still to this day have never seen Disorganized Crime. Uh, it's just that. Because I watched them all, I rented them all. Yeah. To me, they're video. You know, they're straight, they're, yeah, they're yeah. video movies. To um, me, you know, like straight to video movies, just because that's how I viewed them. My my Seagal connection is well. Let me finish out the thought. So, around the, the turn of the century, two thousand or so, a lot of these me working at a video store, and of course we would po- go to the video store all the time, uh, and I'm sure our listeners as well did as well. Uh, you started seeing more of these straight to video, direct to video, and then it was almost like a knock. But I guess you got to keep in context that overseas these movies are still doing phenomenal. They're maybe even getting theatrical releases, like we were saying. And then I remember all of a sudden seeing like Bruce Willis doing a, 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 dir- a direct-to-video, where he may show up and do a day's work, yeah, but he's yeah. on the cover. And then I saw like Christian Slater, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is odd. Like these are big names to us back then. And then I saw Morgan Freeman, and I'm like, wait a minute, you know. And then, and then, Val, Ki- then Val, you know, Val Kilmer <laughs> did one or two. I mean, although he was still releasing like Spartan, yeah. went to the theaters. Salt Sea, Salt and Sea went to the theaters. But you start seeing, especially Morgan Freeman. It's like they're probably getting a crapload of money doing, you know, a couple days work, and that's it. And then they could be billed as the headliner in this, it and it so became a very lucrative industry. When those movies were being developed and in pre-production, oh, yeah. even during production. Some of those guys that we've had it that might, conversation it on this not, podcast. You know, they could have just—they didn't know that that was the way it was going. Like, might, might have not have been made with the intention of going straight to video, but then it just went straight to video. Yeah, for some here reason. anyway. Yeah, like, who knows what? The, you know, like I said, like we said earlier, they could have been—they could have gotten theatrical release overseas. You never know. Yeah, it could be like sat on a shelf for a year or something. Well, I remember like in the nineties when Stallone was making like Judge Dredd, yeah. and Assassins, like that era of Stallone. Sure. It'd be like Stallone is the highest paid star in Hollywood. The specialists, and it was like, why? Because these movies aren't doing that great, and it was because they were doing gangbusters. The overseas, well, overseas, yeah. And so, um, you know, even though his movies didn't seem like they were huge successes here, like he was still, selling, you know, he was still selling a shitload of tickets. Overseas. And it's weird because you know the market was changing. By the time you get to the '90s, and you have like the indie movies coming out, or you have movies like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, or you're getting Clerks, or you're getting like uh, really realistic movies and stuff. And then there's the explosion finally of Jackie Chan becoming mainstream for us here. Although he'd been in movies yeah, in America's Cannonball Run, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, on, on the you know, but he'd been. Even making a, movies overseas yeah. for 20 years. He even had a, another movie. I can't think of the name of it. But like an a, a Jackie Chan movie, like in the 80s. That yeah. was like an American, maybe a co-production. Um, but. But like when Rumble in the Bronx came, and then suddenly, you know, so you have all these, and then you have Chow Young-Fat, and then you have Jet Li. You have all these people coming onto the scene, and then, uh, what's his face? John Woo's making all those crazy, yeah. you know, face-off and all that. So like, you know... By that time, everybody's doing it's. It's. I think it's just so sad that the market's just changing. So you start seeing these kind of movies going to, uh, to de- and people's you know, and people's tastes change as well. So by the time you get into the two thousands, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you the last movie. Oh, I guess Steven Scott was in Machete. 
that 2010 movie yeah. uh, he, where he plays the bad guy. Uh, that was theatrical release. But after, I'd say, maybe like Glimmer Man or something, those other ones are all, I think, straight to DVD or video. And they're still making money. And, and you know, I've seen... I haven't seen the recent ones. I used to try to keep up and watch the ones uh, during the 2000s. Uh, there's a one called Pistol Whipped, which I loved, which was with uh, Lance Henriksen's in it. Uh, they shot it up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I even brought it up to him when I was like, you know, that movie Pistol Whipped is great. Did you guys, you shot that up in Connecticut? And he was like, ah, you know, there's so many of them. He's like, I don't remember. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, Pistol Whip was, that's the one that's written by J.D. Sykes. Yeah, right? and that's another weird connection because I didn't know that when I watched the movie. I was like, this is really good, this this movie. Uh, J.D. Zyke, tell, tell everybody, the party people in the place J.D. Zyke, Zyke was a writing teacher that we had when we were in college. Yeah. Um, he taught he, us, what, like screenwriting? or Yeah, it was just a screenwriting class. And uh, later, his big claim, claim to fame at that point was that he had written Ronin. Yeah. With Robert De Niro and the John Frankenheimer directed it. Like Luke Besson. Well, not Luke Besson. Um, uh, what's his Jean name? Jean Renault. Jean Renault. And uh, I remember I was still kind of in contact with J.D., uh, back around Pistol Whip because I emailed him about it because you had you seen it and you're like yeah. it's really good and so I saw it and I liked it and I re- my recollection is that we exchanged emails and he said oh that's a really interesting story oh yeah okay and that he it was actually written as a vehicle for Daniel Day Lewis yeah I think. which is so <laughs> like uh, right field because <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis has only done what like ten movies or you know. Yeah, like apparently it was developed as a project for Daniel Day-Lewis and then somehow became a Steven Seagal movie. And the reason I liked that was because when he started doing these directed videos, um, you know, he, he, he was getting on in years. He gained a little weight. And my issue was always that uh, when you'd watch his movie, they'd start fighting and they go close up and you can't see anything or you could kind of tell it might not be him. And then they go to a long shot again and then, you know, he throws the guy into a wall. Whereas Pistol Whip, they actually would do wide shots. Yeah. And you'd see him fucking some shit up like the old days, you know? Uh, so that was always very exciting I recall, to me. I don't know, at some point, there was a bookstore near my old apartment. It was like the um, <clears throat> like the John Jay College bookstore. But it was like the tiny <coughs> little uh, Barnes & Noble. And they had like a little section of film books. And they had the Steven Seagal book. Seagology? Yeah, I, bu- I think I... You got me that for Christmas. Yeah, I think I bought it there for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's this... Really <laughs> and I remember when you got the... Like, even the guy who wrote the book liked Pistol Whipped. I remember when you read the book. <laughs> well, because that book, um, it's authored by the guy Vern from Ain't It Cool News. And uh, it's a very good book, and it's very funny. And uh, it's kind of... It's not in any way taking the piss on Seagal, so that's the fun thing. It's like, hey, listen... You know, it's like it's kind of like the mantra yeah. of this podcast. Like, you know, some of the movies may be bad, but who cares? It's we like love if them. you're going to be reading a book about Steve Seagal, you're a fan of Steve yeah. Seagal. So why take the wind out of your yeah? And, he, and, the, and I think he even re he had a uh, a newer edition with a new Ford by the director of um, Pineapple Express, and they call I forget they call them like Seagologists, you know. And if you're or you're and so the movie's called uh, the book is called. Um, uh, Sagology, and it is the full the full name of the book is called um, a study of the kick the ass kicking films of Steven Seagal by Verne, and it's called Sagology. Very good, and it's uh it goes chronologically. It doesn't really give you too much about his upbringing as you just go in order of every single movie he's done, starting with Above the Law, and and you know in also you know each chapter is all these direct to video movies. 
So uh, that's very good. I read that when you gave it to me, and I was actually like really it, it kept my interest because it wasn't you know making fun of him or being sarcastic. Yeah. Um, and and he's had a weird trajectory too. My history with him is that um, which I've also brought up a lot of times on this cast is when we moved houses to the suburbs. My dad became part of like the Columbia video store, uh, or you know the ones you get in the mail. Yeah, and then you know you're able to buy as you know I forget what the when you get that initial first deal, you pick six movies and you pay regular price for one, and then you the other ones are a penny or something. And in that load, he got Lethal Weapon, he got uh, Aliens, he got Above the Law, and he got oh, what's the other one? And I'm every time I bring this up, I always forget one. Yeah. And the last time I brought this up, I forgot it was above the law. Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and it's just interesting because those are Warner Brothers. Well, not not the other one's Fox, if Aliens. But so it was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Aliens, uh, Above the Law, and Lethal Weapon, and then maybe even The Godfathers. So we started getting them in the mail, and that was the first time I had ever heard of uh, when, and Above the Law. That's so that's like '89. Above the Law comes out in '88. Yeah. And my dad's best friend, who you know, uh, this guy named John Harabushi, he, uh, he's retired now, but he was an Aikido instructor. So Steven Seagal does Aikido, the martial art. And uh, my dad knows him for, Jesus, many years. He's, he's my dad's best friend. And that guy's history was he, he was born in Stanford, Connecticut. He was a biker as a kid in, in the biker gangs of the 60s and 70s. Then he wanted to kill himself. So him and a Black Panther robbed the bank. To get so he can get the money to buy the uh, enough the, the heroin to, to kill himself, robs the bank, goes buys the heroin, goes to inject himself, passes out before he injects the full load into himself, wakes up, realizes he didn't kill himself, and he's robbed the bank. Uh, they the FBI had already gotten the Black Panther, who was his getaway driver. He got arrested. He goes to prison for like five or six years. While he's in prison is when he starts, uh, you know, he gets off heroin, and then he starts to turn his life around. He starts. Uh, drawing on like rice paper, Japanese art, which is beautiful. That which my parents we have decorated all over our house. Very beautiful, like um, uh, nature and 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 animals and stuff in in the Japanese kind of way. And he signs his name in Japanese on the bottom. And he started uh, doing Aikido, and he became. Jeez, I forgot what his his title is. He's like a sixth or seventh don in Aikido. So when I was little growing up, when we hang out with my dad, we'd go and go see him. We'd go to his dojo in New Haven. So it's funny, we'd go up the stairs and we'd go to the dojo and they're practicing martial art, like, you know, on the mat. I'd go in the back where the locker room is. I remember I turned the TV on, I was watching Thundar. So, you know, and then he was a big, he liked cartoons too. And he was always a guy who watched cartoons (laughs) that were relevant. So he was... So even though he was like my dad's age, he had a connection because he could talk to me about stuff. He'd always buy me the like for Christmas. He bought me like a Transformers Insecticon one year, and I was like, "Oh my God, you know what to get me?" You know, he yeah, just yeah. get me a Tonka. You know, so then when I got the age around twelve or thirteen, I started taking a keto, and I took a keto for about five or six years. And they don't usually take young people because it's a keto is not like a karate. A keto is like you know it becomes like a way of life, almost like a uh, like tai chi or something yeah, like that. Where it's, like it's a philosophy, yeah, and it, some and, sort. Yeah, and and we can get into a little more. Of, I mean, I guess I could talk about a keto briefly for a second because it's a relatively new art, which is interesting too. Is that it? It's uh, it was only made or, or kind of come to be in the twenties and thirties uh, by this guy Osensei, whose name is uh, Morhe Yashiba, and uh, they. Uh, lovingly refer to him as O-Sensei and he's kind of a, a little old man 
Uh, and if you've seen Batman the animated series, the Ninja episode, they have the little guy that's in that. They've kind of stylized him off of Osensei. And basically, what Akito was is it's just um, uh, it breaks down where it's like Aiki means like joining or combining forces. And then key means your, your spirit or your energy, and do means way or path. So you always talk about the key. It was always very important where your key is in your belly. That's your power, your energy. You always want to stay, you know, stay tall, stay straight, uh, stay centered. And it's basically using the, the, the direct term is actually like where it's like Aikido. So it's like the I, the AI is actually, you know, taking the person, unifying their energy, using your own key and then just misdirecting or using their energy against them. So you get off the line, you, you grab them, and maybe because you off-balance them by doing this or that, and you can just... The, 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 uh, the ultimate philosophy of it is you're, you're evading an attacker, but you're not also causing injury to that attacker. So, th- so another thing about that was Steven Seagal has this kind of street style which is kind of controversial because he just fucks people up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> well, <it's>, you know, <laughs> when you watch when you, when you were a kid. Yeah. And I feel like for us it was like the the Steven Seagal signature. The thing that we all looked for in a Steven Seagal movie was that he would like break break the arm, break he'd, arms and legs. He do the like joint a, and yeah. the joint he'd pop the joint. <laughs> yeah, he do a shionagi which is like this thing where he you you, you flip the you, you go around the guy and then you get the guy's arm over your shoulder and you and then with the elbow you just break you break the elbow the other way over your shoulder and yeah. you know there's all these different moves. So purists because it says it's a way of life and it's a, and it's and it's criticized because when you're when you're practicing it it's basically for a layman it's kind of like almost like when you watch karate kid and uh, mr miyagi's teaching him to do stuff abstractly like you know wax on wax off and yeah. he's like how's this gonna help me and then oh speaking of um a little sidebar we just did uh nighthawks right last episode mm-hmm. directed by bruce malmuth uh yeah i believe that was his and name. we we, we neg- neglected to mention that he is also the ringside announcer in the first two Karate Kids movies. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And I had another note of his, but I forgot all my notes, so I'm going off the top of my head. But he had but something he, else but I connected. Had say, I think I said in the episode that he directed a Seagal movie. He that's that was it. He directed Hard to Kill, which is the second one, and that's why I realized it because I went back to read my psychology because Blake said, "Hey, yo, I got you that book ten years ago. You should check that out." I was like, "That's a good idea, Blake." Uh, so when I went to, I read the first three chapters up to Mark for Death. He says he talks about. Uh, but he doesn't mention Nighthawks. And I'm like, this is the Nighthawks. <laughs> Why are you going to next? So he, he brought that up as a fun fact that he's the two. So getting back to Aikido. So it's it gets criticized because when you when you um, practice it or you go and, you know, do classes, it's very controlled. You have to do, you know, uh, the guy comes at you slow or this or there's different kind of strikes. And, and you train on that till you're almost numb and, and the idea is you, you, you learn everything to forget everything and then once you you know it doesn't have belts either there's not like a black belt yeah, brown yeah. belt there's just degrees and I got to like third or fourth degree you can get to one and then you become uh, an instructor it, it's because I, I used to when I was this is what going on 30 years no 25 years now like I knew how to count to 10 in Japanese ich ni sun chi gu haruku sichi hachi kyuju and it's all in the class, they talk to you. Okay, we're going to do today Yokomanuchi Shianagi. And, you know, the beginning Yokomanuchi is, you know, say the attack with a karate chop to the side. And then the 
other side of that, Shionagi is the defense, you know, or Shomanuchi, which is a, just a karate shop down to your head, um, uh, 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 Kodagaishi. So then you'd, you know that, you know, the, the attack is going to be straight down and you could take it and, and do like the, the most classic moves you see he do, he do are like this thing called a uh, Rimanagi, which is where basically he grabs the guy, uses his, his tricep and just clotheslines the guy. That's mm-hmm. a Rimanagi or a Shionagi, which is where he gets the guy over his, uh, the shoulder and breaks the guy's elbow or the thing I love, which is a um, Kodagaishi where you take the guy by the wrist and when you bring him around because of his weight, you flip the wrist this way, and if which is like this way, like, like people can out, see outwards. You know, like you, so. You when you sw- if you flip the wrist like that, the whole body goes with them. So that's when you see those guys flip in the air. Yeah. So one of the first things you learn in Aikido is how to fall right, how to roll the right way, because a lot of times you're falling out of these moves. You're rolling out of these moves. So there's two different kinds. There's a regular fall, which is like you roll on your arm, so you make sure you can just not hit your head and you roll using one arm and go over your shoulder, come up. Or you do a thing called a break fall, which is where you flip and you land the right way kind of on your hip, but you got to make sure you land, you don't squash your genitalia for men, yeah. you know, because the legs come together. So you got to master that. Once you learn how to fall and roll the right way, then you're able to do these techniques, but you have to be really gentle because if you go quick, you can really hurt yourself. Yeah. And then the, the idea is as you get better at it, you start... Uh, training with multiple attackers you know the whole idea is to be able to defend yourself against multiple people at a time and all that and it's 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 very interesting because like I said it's a newer art it's it's basically about a hundred years old or less so well I remember uh, my sensei John used to say like it's it's a, how he trained in the federation which was or Aikikai which is different there's two different kind of uh, branches of it that teach it now you can there were people like by John's age, who's now in his seventies, who were taught by students of Osensei, you know, because it's 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 that relatively new. Yeah. So you could have people who knew the old man who, who basically yeah. begot all this, yeah. you know. And it was a it's a form of judo, it's a form of jujitsu. I think yeah, in early days it was Aikido. That, that those martial arts, like karate, they don't go back centuries. Yeah, but know? also you get like you know you could probably still learn. Uh, Whatever I forget the name of like Bruce Lee's martial art from oh, people that you Ken, know Kentu Do Ken, uh, uh, right that's that's kind of right something like that and uh, he kind of patented his own martial art by Jeet, taking Jeet Kundo. Jeet Kundo and then I remember we did two years ago but like you did, can still kind of learn it from someone who learned it from Bruce Lee yeah you know and then, and then like you have a relatively new you have a, like that kind of a tenuous connection you know and and uh, I remember when we did Enter the Dragon on here two years ago. Watching, analyzing that movie, there are different Aikido techniques in that he's doing because he cherry picked from different things. So, and then it's hard now because in later, and then I brought up this great um, YouTube channel, Aikido Flow, which is in London, where it's this guy uh, who showing you how to use it on the street, how to disarm people, and all that stuff. And that's very interesting because the other criticism is they they put people like UFC fighting. They're like, you know, Aikido doesn't work in real life, and they have some, you know, I'm going to say asshole. They have some guy who's like this sensei go into a into a UFC thing and tries to do Aikido on some guy that just grapples him and then uses judo, gets to the floor and beats the shit out of him, you know? Yeah. So it, it, that's kind of hard where, you know, if you're going to do competition stuff, you know, if it's going to best somebody who's doing jujitsu or judo like that. Um, so coming around to this, uh, my connection I got above the law, love above the law, uh, and above the laws 
is is a movie. This is his first movie from 1988, where that's the. It, it begins with his him being a uh, um uh his his early life, where you see pictures of him. You see him going to Japan. Uh, Steven Seagal. He was born in Michigan, and uh, he I guess he was a frail boy um as a child, and then he ended up going to. California and in California he got better the climate was better for him and then he realized um uh I guess at some point in his life he met a uh a uh what do you call it uh an old uh, this this elderly guy who um was an Aikido instructor and he started learning Aikido in California and then at some point he went to Japan and in Japan is when he uh, learned the art and he became the first like a Westerner or American to have their own dojo like a non-Japanese person in Japan to have a dojo and that's hard because I remember learning about um, uh, uh, what's the sumo wrestling yeah. and it was hard because they were, they were having an influx of Hawaiians coming over to become and that was the thing where should we let Hawaiians in to, 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 to the sacred you know and eventually they did and you know and then Hawaiians are, are very much you know part of to, to of, uh, of sumo wrestling it was hard to have a westerner come and then be teaching so at the beginning of above the law you see actual photos of his childhood of him sitting on the line you know he looks almost Japanese but it's you know him with all these Japanese guys and, and Steven Seagal there and then the opening scene is you see him in a dojo teaching and it's, you see him doing a keto and, ex- and uh, teaching in Japanese, you know, uh, and that's another thing, too, is you learn Japanese from it because that's how you're taught, you know. So my got my 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 dad's friend, John, who who was my sensei, he knew Japanese and he would you know, he wouldn't tell the class in Japanese, but he was very true to it where yeah. he would explain this is what this means. You have to know what this is. You have to know this, that. So uh, I know I'm, I'm I'm talking too much about this, but the the thing interesting about Seagal is that you know Seagal he comes back to the states like in the late 70s opens up his own dojo I think in California or New Mexico and then he starts doing things and uh, he starts teaching Aikido to this very powerful agent called Michael Orviz O-V-I-T-Z Ovitz maybe I don't know okay so that because it's all very foggy his uh, how he how he gets into the industry he becomes a stunt coordinator on a uh, Scott Glenn movie, Scott Glenn, right from the right stuff. Yeah, uh, the challenge, which is like nineteen, with Tashira Mufune. Yeah, and I can see the box cover. He does. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, and he's billed as Steve Seagal in that. And then his next movie is um, Never Say Never Again. He does the martial art coordination oh, in that. Okay. And, yeah. and the rumor of that is he broke Sean Connery's wrist in a scene teaching him how to do this stuff and for people that's the Bond movie where there's a we never we've never covered Bond here but it was the Broccoli the, the I forget the producer's names uh, Broccoli is one guy's name and the other the other producer I forget the guy's name but they had a falling out yeah. and one guy owned one something and somebody owned something else so that later on when Roger Moore is doing like Octopussy and that Sean Connery comes back and does Never Say Never Again, comes back as Bond, but they can't use certain things, I forget. Yeah, it's like not an official yeah. Bond movie. So if you were going to buy like the the, yeah, the the box set. It's not in the box set. It's not yeah. in the box set. Correct. And I have it. I, yeah, I, have it. <laughs> I have it as well. Yeah, exactly. I when you're watching it order. It was the one that I was, I was very familiar with, that one. 
growing up. Was that your first one? Not only was my first one because my dad was way into it, but it was on like Sunday nights. All the goddamn at least once a year that was on. Um, um, for me, it was my first Bond was Octopussy because I was always like, "How are they calling a movie Octopussy?" Like even when I'm five, I'm like, "This is crazy." I don't know. I was way, I don't remember when my first one was. I was way into it because my dad was. Yeah, my dad had read all the books and sure he grew up with it, so he was very into Bond, still is, and so yeah. um, we had. Like I would go, we'd go to the hobby store, and I had like these games. Oh and, sure, and I was way into it. So we were way into Bob, but I just remember Never Say Never Again was on television with yeah. commercials all the a time. Lot well, when it, I was little, and it probably for me is we had a we had I think the movie channel HBO. I think we had HBO because that's how we had a lot of the stuff at the beginning. The da 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 da. But it was kind of like coinciding when I would watch it. I guess Octopussy was out and then was on the paid channels. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I saw the shit of it. Like at the beginning, when 006 gets killed as the clown and very freaky. So and also after Batman, Scabasingers and uh, she's in. Never, she's in. Say never. Yeah, again. never say never again. And so I think once once Batman came oh, out, you're like that's she, the girl. As from- she was huge. I think they started. They put it yeah. in a rotation <laughs> so uh and that's a very interesting story too because i went back and i was reading a lot of the old bond books and they're so much different from the movies yeah and it's weird because i think that only the first two or three are actually the the, the movies based off the book and by the time they get to like thunderball they're only taking the titles and by the time like spy or love me or all this they're just taking the title and then making a movie out of it or using another book's plot you know, yeah, yeah. so getting back here, so Seagal he does the uh, the the choreography for Never Say Never Again, and then suddenly in in you think in '88 you look at Chuck Norris, Sly Arnold, they all had a trajectory where like you know Arnold has Hercules in New York or he's in The Long Goodbye, Sly you know he's in a, a handful of movies he's in we just talked about he's in a Kojak episode, um, Chuck Norris fights Bruce Lee and then kind of takes them another couple years. Seagal, all of a sudden, Warner Brothers puts out a fucking, you know, big budget movie with Henry Silva, with Pam Greer, with a whole bunch of uh, Chicago actors uh, who I brought up recently uh, because we were watching something. And uh, Michael Rooker's in, 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 uh, has a bit part in it. Uh, The priest, Joe Greco. Why did I bring him up? Oh, Rudy. Uh, uh, Chelsea Ross is in Above the Law. The other guy the white-haired coach that tells chelsea ross like hey we should take rudy on he was in above the law so uh seagal does this big budget movie which is kind of crazy and it's and it's basically it's kind of like you see with like uh like non-actors where a studio will make a movie and they'll try to make the movie about something that non-actor does so then you could see like they did that with eminem for that eight mile and you know you like they kind of did that with seagal where they make a movie where uh, it's and it's not it's weird it's not a vehicle for him as a he's starring in it's a vehicle for him you know they catered it around where it's basically Seagal playing himself with they show he he the first thing you see is like this really nice like uh, voiceover is like has a little boy and you see like pictures of him growing up and then you see him oh sensei and he says I went to a ball a baseball game and I saw this old man doing wonderful things and that should be an extra we should include in here some of the one the old Seagal stuff from like the 70s of him doing shit when he was at his peak that like that cheap video VCR video and then also to see old sensei this little old man it's probably like in the 40s or 50s they filmed in black and white you know no sound and he's flipping hundreds of people over and you're like you know it, it looks like they're they're on wires how he's doing stuff you know yeah, he's just yeah. so uh, and he's just staying straight this little short guy so uh above the law it's it, it's so weird because it's um it's just 
it's his upbringing in pictures, and then it's a movie catered around the Seagal, you know? And then that movie's just basically he's a cop in Chicago, and, uh, you know, he's, he's wronged, and he has to go for revenge. And then the next movie we have is Hard to Kill, which is uh, 1990. That's the first Seagal movie I saw in the theater. That's got William Sadler in it. You could take that to the bank. That was his mm-hmm. line in the movie. And Sharon Stone, I'm sorry, Sharon Stone is... Seagal's wife in Above the Law. Above the Law. She's crying a lot in that movie. That's all she really does. Just like Nico. His name is Nico Toscani. Looking at his filmography, at the top of IMDb, Above the Law 2 is there with no date. And it's it's him playing Nico Toscani. And you're like, wow, you know, so, you know, I don't know if he's going to make another Above the Law. That would be great. But what's funny about Above the Law, which is also we can get to Mark to Death, is they take place in the Chicago. Well, Above the Law takes place in Chicago. Mark for Death takes place in the suburbs and there's the football game so you, you think about like is this we're like you know uh, are these in the neighborhoods where Home Alone you know National Lampoon Rudy you know what I mean? like, yeah, yeah. The, like like Chevy Chase is trying to put his lights over and in the next block over you know Seagal's fighting off Jamaican drug dealers because they're coming yeah. into his neighborhood Rusty's going to the, the high school the high school where, where the Jamaicans are like hey he's crazy about you try a little crack boy be great you know uh, yeah, and yeah ro- next year Christina Applegate's getting hooked on crack or Juliette Lewis I mean you know, so um, from for, in my personal opinion, I like Above the Law the best. He doesn't have a ponytail in it. He's you know, yeah, people knock his running. He has that weird running. Uh, but the thing, uh, I'm going around the houses a bit, but it's like people had never seen this kind of martial arts before up until that time. So you yeah. get a movie like Above the Law come out, and Aikido had never really been profiled in a movie. Like I said, Bruce Lee did it a little bit in conjunction with his own Jin Kun Do, but. When you see this this Westerner come out and do these brutal, uh, then that's what he, he what he perfected the street fighting. He's doing these quick brutal uh, fights that last very quick, and he's just break like you're saying he's breaking it limbs, arms. He's 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 taking people who come at him with a machete and he chops the other guy's hand off, or he, he's throwing people through glass windows. That's like his his patent thing too is like taking another guy and going through a window using that guy as a shield and rolling around that's like people are like holy fucking shit so i think it was like the right place at the right time in the late 80s where suddenly it's it's a uh, it's there's more level there's a level of realism as opposed to say a chuck norris or, or oh, van damme's on the scene he's getting big with the blood sports and yeah, um, yeah. i mean he by that point van damme's doing more of like a martial art tournament, yeah. Movie. What's the so other he's one? He's doing like blood sport and kickboxer, yeah. And then Lionheart, which is like an underground urban American yeah. kind of circuit I, of. But you see how it's fighting. weird. It's like you're getting westerners, and even Van Damme. You see him in an earlier movie. He's in Breaking. He's like one of the dancers in that. Yeah. That uh, he's like the bad movie. guy in uh, in another in like a martial arts movie. Um, before Bloodsport. Yeah, and, and, and so you see these Westerners doing these martial arts, and you see that's in... When I was little, I remember that was on... Bloodsport was on all the time, like on Movie Channel. Yeah, I fucking love Bloodsport. And you got Ogre in that. You have, what, Forrest Whitaker's in that, right? He's one of the cops. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker's you know? in that. And um, it, it's it's almost trying to get American audiences to, 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 to take... Okay, you know, the Karate Kid was huge in the middle 80s, and then these tournament, you know... You have the one aspect story. It's like the tournament, yeah. Where it's like the the you know the white guy or the westerner has to go and fight in this. You know, you have bolos in it too. You know, or 
Like yeah. you said, like the other one with uh, Kickboxer, where he's got the glass and his friend gets key, he has to train with the end sensei. Yeah. You know, or you have the Seagal, where it's like, you know, he's a Westerner showing this crazy new art, which is, you know. Well, you had, uh, you know, there's an interesting trajectory, which I mean, I didn't research, but. You know, you do have like the American Ninja, yeah, movies and like Ninja's Revenge. Or That's what's his name, Dudikoff, right? Michael Dudikoff in that one. But it, there is like there's in the '80s. I think partially because of um, companies like Canon, Gallon and Globus, and whatnot. Uh, there is a. And also ninjas were huge in yeah. the '80s for some reason. <laughs> but you have what you, <laughs> you know. There's there is like. You can see it coming. Yeah, leading up to Seagal, Van Dam. You can you can see the trajectory happening. Yeah, you on one side of that scope, you have ninjas and you have American Ninja. You have you know Chuck Norris fighting people and like the uh, uh, Mission in Action movies, where like you know it's the slow takedown where he goes yeah. up and he's you know he's, he's roundhouse kicking somebody. Uh, or the other side of the more realistic is you get the Seagal Van Dam, and that is also people will laugh like more realistic, but it's like yeah, I don't know if I would even put Van Dam in that category as much. It's it's a different kind of action movie than Commando, yeah, and Rambo First Blood Part Two, yeah. You know where they're doing the guns and unlimited ammo. You know, those kinds of movies, that kind of action movie. It's definitely a break from that kind of action And movie. they're doing a little martial art in that, but it's not... But it's not a... I wouldn't say, like, Bloodsport and Kickboxer. It's not. It's definitely a very different kind of movie than what Seagal was doing. Yeah. Uh, and it's just... It's interesting, and that's another thing with... Uh, you know, only... You don't see a lot of kicking. Well, Seagal does kicking, but in Aikido, you don't get a lot of kicking because... Uh, it's just so dangerous. You can, you know, you could, you could hurt somebody or, or, or yeah. you flip it out. So that, it's, that's only taught to, to higher level people. But so you get to like uh, Hard to Kill where he's, I think his name is Mason Storm. That's, that's another thing where at the beginning they, that plot is they, they kill his family right at the beginning. They think they kill him and they put him in a coma. And at this time he was married to Kelly LeBrock. They did not beat on that? No. I was assuming yeah, so that they that. And if you look up, uh, on Wikipedia, they talk about that he started seeing her in the 80s. I guess it was around when she's doing weird science stuff, when she was still modeling. And then he he was with a Japanese girl whose family ran this dojo. He met this Japanese girl, I think here, went back to Japan with her. And then they had children together in the 70s. And then he helped run the dojo. And then he came back either with her or without her. And that family still runs that dojo up until I don't know when with the kids there, because uh, the, it was the family thing that he had married into. And then he he met somebody else here, a, a, a Westerner, married her or was with her, and then at the time started seeing Kelly LeBrock on the side, and then divorced that girl, and then married Kelly LeBrock. And I was always the, under the assumption, like you're saying, they met on Hard to Kill, because he married her in '88 or so. They do. Hard to Kill's 1990. Hard yeah. to Kill was the second, uh, the first movie of the 90s I saw in the theater was Hunt for Red October because it came out like in February. Then like the next week I saw Hard to Kill. And I don't know why, but I thought to myself, this is the first movie I'm seeing in the 90s in the theater. Hard to Kill. <laughs> um, Monumental. Yeah, mon fucking mental. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, when you're seeing that, you know, you're, you're, when you're into the art and you're going there and you're into Seagal and then by that time by Hard to Kill the second movie he's got the ponytail he's in place all the stuff you know uh, he's and, it, and it's it's also too he's got a, it's weird you know his movies it's like 
you know, you have the Bruce Lee or the Mel Gibson movies where it's like almost in their contract that they got to get the shit kicked out of them and almost die. Hans! You know, they're always hurt, bleeding. Seagal, you don't really get that. Seagal, yeah. there's never a level of danger where you think he may... Mark for Death, I did notice near the tail end of it. You know, Screwface was throwing him into stuff and gave him a little of a fight. I was like, well, okay, cool. Seagal's getting some of it too. Getting, yeah, you yeah. know, But for the most part, you always... You know, Seagal's got this bravado, especially when you get to like Out for Justice where, you know, he... You know, he's just beating the shit out of people. You know, people just don't know, you know, what they're messing with, and they talk shit. They call him a girl, or they call him a wussy with the ponytail, and he'll just eat their lunch, so to speak, or throw them through a, a window, or just you know, it's just the one where he takes like a cue ball. That's I was, that's all, that's out for justice. He's like, anybody know who killed Bobby Lupo? And he comes in, and they're like the mob, and he's. He takes a, he has a, I guess a scarf on him. He grabs a cue ball and he goes, fuck, why don't you go fucking eat? And he has a cue ball and a sock, not a sock, it's in a, a scarf. He's like, oh, bah! and he just starts yeah, beating yeah. people up. And so the trajectory, this is all Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers puts that. And I, and I was thinking to myself, Warner Brothers did um, Lethal Weapon. So I wonder, Lethal Weapon's 87, they're looking for more cop, you know, hey, let's do a cop movie with martial arts. So maybe they, they put some money into this. Above the Law does really well. You have Henry Silva as the bad guy. Then the next movie in 1990s, Hard to Kill, you get William Sadler as the bad guy. Um, who We were just talking about William Sadler in the Tales from the Crypt. And I, I forgot I saw him on Broadway because you talk about I saw Denzel Washington and, and, and uh, Juliet Caesar. And in that version, William Sadler played Caesar. And there's a scene where he's in the bath. He gets up, every, you see his ass. Yeah. So everybody in the crowd's like, oh, you know, because like, you, you know, because you see some buttocks or whatever. But he's the bad guy in, in, in Hard to Kill. He's great. And then you get to this movie. This is the third movie, uh, which is I always thought it was later than 1990, but it's 1990s. Hard, hard, uh, marked for death. Yeah. And the other thing that was big at the time was like the reggae, the uh, reggae dance hall. I think it's called. That was coming on the scene uh, in that in the in the community. Like you know, hip hop was flourishing in the early 90s with you know uh with easy e and uh, public enemy and you're getting into like you know nwa and stuff like that but then the reggae dance hall stuff was coming out becoming big and you know jimmy cliff and all these kind of guys yeah. they're not jimmy cliff he's older i think he's more of a the bob marley generation but you get a lot of like uh newer artists on the scene i'm and also like i'm not an expert in it but i would imagine that like ska is probably right around the corner yeah of this you know which sure. is kind of an offshoot which is like our of high reggae. school like mid 90s and stuff like that so that's really big and you know i know the other side of the coin on this movie mark for death is people nowadays say they don't like the the depiction of the jamaicans in this movie and there's even at the end of this movie there's a disclaimer in the credits which, because uh, I, I, uh, we to the people of Jamaica, yeah, we, we apologize. We, we apologize for any kind of thing we do. It says uh, the posse phenomenon is estimated to be a fraction of one percent of the Jamaican population. Should not detract from their country or the contributions Jamaicans have made to this to this country. So, uh, you know, they were worried about a backlash, and nowadays people say they don't like the depiction of how they're depicted in it. Uh, what? You know, in the if you look at the trajectory of movies in the eighties, there was always the Italian mob or the seventies. Yeah, yeah. They were the so then when you get to the middle eighties, when the mob kind of with John Gotti and you know there's a there's a takedown of the mob uh, when Giuliani takes them all out in New York City and the mob falls apart. You start getting all these other f factions coming in: Russians, Irish, Jamaican, Albanian. You uh, we start talking about even in our first movie, The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren, in the mid to late eighties 
were the Italian mob things kind of getting a little old, if people don't remember this, until 1990 when uh, Scorsese implants Goodfellas that's almost like the resurgence of the Italian mafia film yeah. in the late 80s mid to late 80s you were getting movies like you know uh, uh, Year of the Dragon you were sure. getting uh, Black Rain where you were having the Yakuza the Yakuza the Chinese mob or the Japanese Yakuza stuff coming in worse so you were getting these different you know and it's new to us because for 50 or 60 years it's always been the Italian mob the Black Hand or yeah, the yeah. you know the uh, La Costa Nostra so when when we start getting newer things in the in the mid to late eighties, this is another one where it's like you, this is the 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 black you know mafia or posse you know yeah. So this well, is isn't also like, I mean, <laughs> you know we do we do so many we've done so many of these episodes even though it's a fairly recent episode. Isn't there always like there's like a Jamaican drug uh, connection to like Predator Two? Well, there? Predator Two comes out like. I, I, it's out with like this is out like a month before Predator Two, yeah. so you have two movies coming it's like out the, the one same. Two punch. <laughs> yeah, and then what year is Weekend at Bernie's two? Because this the guy that's in this movie who plays the the, the good cop, the Jamaican guy, he's in Voodoo. He has the same name in Weekend at Bernie's two. When they go down to Jamaica, and that has Voodoo in it, yeah, and stuff like that. And uh, you know, I guess you can. Uh, make some sort of extrapolation that is he the same you know is, is there's because we get at birdies too because remember in this is mark for death of, some kind of sequel to well yeah because mark for death well mark for death he says he came from kingston he followed Screwface. so you know maybe in, it, it's a prequel well, well weekend at birdies too is happening down in, i don't know if it's in kingston jamaica but yeah, then yeah. you know he fought after he does whatever he does with with weekend at birdies too he then comes to, to the suburbs of chicago to follow Screwface. so and then so people find this kind of, uh, um, you know, they don't they don't think the Jamaicans are depicted in in in, in a, a fairly good light. I'm not trying to defend or, or be here saying, well, uh, I agree or disagree with it. I just try to make the wide, wider argument that like a lot of they were looking for yeah. new stuff. Got to be somebody, yeah, you know. <laughs> and for me, and it can't be like you know, not every movie can be Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, where it's a combination of, of you can't see of anything very, of every uh, yeah, or the Warriors or something, you know. Yeah. And then you know the first, the, it's the there's the mob and above the law. Uh, there's the I think it's the mob again and hard to kill. So this is something different, and this is I think because of that, it's so very memorable. For me, rewatching this with you, Screwface to me is like one of the. Oh, I don't I don't know if I'm going to say he's one of the best bad guys of all time, but I think he's a he's a great he's a villain, very sure. scary. And then they pull like a, they pull a prestige on us. Yeah, now which I remember was memorable when I was a kid. Yeah, see now I remember watching this. A couple of years ago with my wife, and then when the scene, when the w- white woman goes, you know, the, the secret of school faces, he's got two, two, heads, two, two heads, four eyes, and my wife's like, oh, twins. Two and I was like, I was like, I was like seriously? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I, it's kind of, and I was like, but for, as I, seeing this, I saw Mark for Death in the theater, and I, I don't remember which I saw first, but I assume I saw Mark for Death before Predator 2. So there's breasts, tits galore in these movies. So, like, you know, for a young kid who's, like, 12, you're like, this yeah. is freaking great, you know. It's a big deal. You're uncomfortable You're because you're maybe with your dad or your family, your, your best friend's dad. So, you're like, this is fucking awesome, you know. So, you're like, I shouldn't be seeing this, but I'm seeing this. So, uh, uh, when I saw this in the theater and the end with the with the twist, that to me was like, I was like, oh, my God, like I dropped my popcorn. You know, it's like you don't see it coming. And yeah. you know, and and then that's why I bring my wife up because I don't know seeing this t- 
today is can you see it coming a mile away? I don't I don't know. Yeah. Is you it know? like an age thing or is it just with t- the, yeah, know, we say 20 more years of of, of people 30, 30, storytelling. 30 years more years of storytelling. You know, things have become more Cuz I said that to my wife. I said, "How did you what gave you she's like, "Well, at the beginning, there's that really awesome scene at the pool." Yeah. yeah. I and I be everywhere and you see him over there and she's like, "Well, that was the clue." I was like, "Oh, but I thought it was his mysticism. He's throwing yeah, his yeah. move." Yeah. I think that's the implication. Yeah, that he's that he's it's got that, the some kind of black magic. Yeah, and that's the so now let's we could segue into heart, uh, to, to Mark for death six hours into this podcast which uh, I I always I assumed you picked it because they say marked for death in the movie oh, it's, it's another that, one well, I know that, that's they a do, rule of it, and, and you look at it they, they do say them above the law at the beginning of it they have, above the law well they have Nixon on and, and, yeah. and in the credits it's like no one is below the law no one is above the law so they take a Nixon speech and they're like man you, you know, are hard to kill it, it's <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true. It, it's out all these all these elaborate. And you gotta understand too, Sagal has a very he's always adding in like a, a I don't know what you call it, maybe like a like a progressive or liberal kind of uh uh themes in his movies where like it above the laws about CIA corruption and it, and it's almost an answer to the Iran Contra scandal that was happening at the time. Uh hard to kill, um I, I don't remember well enough to what this but you know, then when you get into like this movie, Mark for Death, or certainly the next movie, Out for Justice, there's like a thing at the beginning of Out for Justice where he's driving, it has nothing to do with the movie, but he's driving at the beginning and someone throws a bag out of their car and he gets out and there's like a little puppy inside and he grabs the dog <laughs> yeah, and, he, yeah. and he looks and I forget what, there's a bumper sticker on the, on the uh, it's a uh, station wagon. He's like, I'm going to find you, bumper sticker, whatever the bumper sticker says. So then the whole plot of Out for Justice happens and then like the last scene, he's getting like Slurpees and he sees the, thing with the guy and the bumper, he walks up and he like you know knocks the guy out and everyone's like yeah because now he's got his dog so he starts adding in these and then by the time you get on deadly ground which is completely he has like this big speech about you know the corporations are killing the the, the rainforest in alaska and you know and then you know they're calling him buttercup in it and he's got the jacket with the with the frails yeah, and yeah. he beats the the guy frenchy that you remember you saw at the bar um, that yeah. cabin fever. He's in the, he's he's the guy in the bar that tries to fuck with Seagal, and he beats the crap out of Seagal, and he's like, you know, you have to change your ways, and the, he's like on the ground, like I don't know how. Show me. <laughs> it's like they have this weird scene, you know, like you know, because yeah. Seagal's got Car Blanche at that point. He's writing his yeah, own dialogue yeah. and all that kind of thing. So he's got, you know, I agree with a lot of his stuff. I like that he's trying to be pro environment. I like that he's trying to be pro animals. He he was he got a, a PETA award in the late nineties. He did this commercial for PETA about being a spokesman about stuff. So I dig all that. So. We're getting a mark to for death here. The third one, 1990. Uh, the the plot of this movie starts out where he's in Colombia. Uh, I thought when I was little it was Mexico, yeah. But it, evidently it's Colombia. He's running, which is great. It's Danny Trejo. He's running after, and yeah. that's almost comes full circle because then you see them in Machete in 2010, and uh, you know. But, I guess they're undercover, right? You know, and it was that uh, they thought the cover was blown because he's he's doing like undercover shit, drug dealing, and then they go to the meet anyway. His partner, they get caught. They they they, they are their cover is blown, and then his partner gets killed right at the beginning. Another yeah. scene. I remember when I was little, they're in like a, a, a I would say a whorehouse, but you know, the the partner busts in the door, and the girl's like you know holding holding herself so you can't see, and then she takes her gun out, and everything just starts bouncing, and she she kills the partner. I remember on TV. They used to have a bra on her. So in the scenes where alternate shot, yeah. So when I was when I saw it on TV, I was like, oh, they must have CGI that in there. And you know, there's no CGI in the in the late '90s that they would have did that. They probably just shot it 
a couple times with the hindsight, Dwight Little must have been like, yeah. you know, if this airs on TV, we have to have some coverage. So I remember she has a bra, and then in the scene with Jimmy Fingers when they go to the motel room, and he's got like two hookers, and there's some crazy shit going on in there. The girls are dressed. <laughs> they've got bras on. And we was like, you know, bitches, leave. That's yeah, about yeah. a RoboCop. So um, we get to Mark for Death. Let's talk about the director. Uh, Dwight H. Little. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it, but apparently I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that always how it is? Uh, he's probably best known for doing uh, Halloween 4, Curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. In 88. But and he, he brings... Isn't there some of the cast? Uh, yeah, yeah. We can get a little bit to yeah. the cast. But he does, uh, 88, he does uh, Curse of Michael Myers, and allegedly Seagal sees that nice. from, from what I've found online. I want to use that guy. <laughs> and then wants to use him for that. But then he follows up uh, Halloween 4 with Phantom of the Opera, the one with Robert England. Yeah. Which I'm a big fan of. And then, How is that? Is that well-received? I don't think it was, and I tried to watch it with somebody. Because there's a newer one that Argento did, right? Maybe? He did one in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, which is also not that great. But I was a big fan of the Phantom of the Opera one. You know, it was, I remember it was a big deal because Robert England obviously was Freddy at that point, and it was kind of like a horror take on story of Phantom of the Opera, but at the same time when you watch it now, it's much more like they're trying to make it a legitimate movie. Like a legitimate costume drama with some gore and stuff. And uh, there was always uh, rumored that there was going to be a follow-up, and I think I've even heard that Robert England was very disappointed that the follow-up never happened, because he really enjoyed doing the first one. What was there? What was there? Was there intention to be like a... Because I've never seen it. Was it supposed to be a... And you gave it to me. A, a copy of a disc and I don't I, is it, was it supposed to be like a, a B movie or was it going to be like a I don't know it's like know. a weird middle ground where like I think they were doing their best to make it like an A movie but I think it just was received or perceived as being kind of a B movie it's much more of like a weird hybrid of a late 80s horror movie with the sensibilities of trying to do something more serious. (laughs) So maybe it's just not successful because of the way people thought it was going to be or the way they expected it. Um, And maybe just that weird blend of the two sensibilities might have turned people off. But then he follows uh, Mark for Death up uh, with Rapid Fire, which is yeah. one of my old faves. Dion knows ever since we met. I was like, yeah, Rapid Fire. <laughs> That's the one that, uh, what's, what's your line you used to always say? Because oh, uh, uh, I, I say it to people now. <laughs> yeah. uh, pleasure doing business with you. Pleasure doing business with you. Uh, with, which was, you know, one of the, one of the early vehicles of trying to make Brandon Lee a star. And, um, which I would love to do on the show at some sure. point. Sure. Uh, Maybe do a double feature, that and Crow. Christopher Young, who was featured in my first book, Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, did the music for that. Uh, We don't talk about that score in it, but so now I I, I now have a personal connection to it. And he did um, Hellraiser. He did the original Hellraiser and the second Hellraiser also. Um, And you're friendly with him. You you text him all the time and send him like (laughs) selfies. (laughs) Chris and I have become friends for sure. And it's another funny thing, a a sidebar, is I've just watched that 
Curse of La Cucaracha. What it, uh, I'm saying that wrong, but it's the it's one of the La Conjuring. Lorna. Yeah, and you know, I just watched it recently. I just watched it on the, HBO. Maybe now. we watched it together. We didn't realize exactly. <laughs> That's why I watched it. it was on HBO and um, Joe Bashar. Bashar. So in the credits, I was like, I was like, honey, look, Blake knows him. He talks to him all the time. That guy does everything. How cool is Blake? And I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and the beautiful Linda Cardellini is yeah. also in that movie. Uh, and then you know he did a lot of stuff I wasn't too familiar with, but I did see Anacondas. The hunt for the yes. blood orchid in the movie theater and in two thousand four. He did a lot of TV. He, he did, did like, a lot of television. Uh, a lot of ground. He did like a. Uh, uh, this, this this is these are the notes I forgot at home, but he did like didn't he do? Uh, he did like some you know he did like uh, was like some Law and Order, but he did some shows people watched. Yeah, a lot of these you guys know, did a lot yeah. of television, uh, but also the producers Michael Grays. I'm mm-hmm. going to say G R A I S. And Mark Victor, they they those guys are borderline uh, sleepover hall of famers. Um, well, is Dwight up? Uh, did we did we <laughs> induct him in? I mean, I don't know. He's got a handful of really great movies in later early eighties, early nineties. So maybe we give him like he's, a, a, a uh, like a, he's got like a, a membership, like he can come over like a mason. But he's we definitely he might be on the bill. He's yeah. not getting the, okay. You know, he's on the he's on the, the door <laughs> the doorman. A lot of men. He might be uh, put him on the list. Yeah, on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, but these guys, Michael Graves and Mark Victor, they did some Beretta, mm. some Starsky and Hutch, some Kojak. Yep. Uh, these are the writers, uh, producers, and okay. they actually and they wrote the script yeah. also. Uh, but they went on and produced the first two Poltergeist movies. Yeah. So that means they worked with Spielberg. Um, Was he connected to the second one? I, I, maybe as a producer, but he didn't he definitely didn't direct it. But then uh, after. The Poltergeist movies, they, he, they, they did Sleepwalkers, which was directed yeah. by Mick Garris, which... You're, you like that one. <laughs> I have fond memories that's of that a, that's, a, that's kind of a Stephen King-ish, no? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember him, he has a cameo in it as well. Yeah, and uh, Cool World, yeah, they produced. Yeah, that's a cult classic now. So those guys uh, did a lot of great stuff. And then James Newton Howard, who did the music for this movie, is a real... Great, great soundtrack. Yeah, well, great... Great soundtrack, but also a great, great score. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. Specifically talking about him, great score. Uh, but the soundtrack, great too. When they released Jimmy this Cliff on, in there, and and that's that's getting a, we can get in a minute. Seagal, but Seagal, I guess it asked Jimmy Cliff to be on this, and then he's in a scene performing on stage, yeah. and he's almost like the chorus because the song they're playing, which is the John Crow song, they screw. He starts talking about Screwface. Screw it was face. written for the movie and apparently co-written with Jimmy Cliff and Steven Seagal. And I think Seagal's playing on it. He probably he might he's be playing a, guitar. He's a, he's a good guitar player. Yeah. So, um, but James Newton Howard. Yeah. Uh, this guy is a real. He's pretty he's a heavy hitter when it comes to film scoring. I mean, he had done like Major League, mm-hmm. which is obviously a classic for our generation. But the same year, he does Pretty Woman, Flatliners. He goes on to do King Ralph. He did Falling Down. Uh, same year, Falling Down. He did Dave and the Fugitive. Wow. Oh, and then speaking of the Fugitive, the uh, Above the Law. Seagal's first movie is Andrew Davis directed who did The Fugitive and he also did another darn it he did another movie that was really big at the time too oh he did Under Siege James Newton Howard also did Wyatt Earp he mm-hmm. did those first couple of M. Night Shyamalan movies which were big and then later on he did my favorite movie Hidalgo yep uh, he did Collateral which is a movie you like a lot yep with Michael, the, Mann. Michael Mann and then uh, he also co-wrote the scores for the first two Nolan Batman movies with Hans Zimmer. Oh wow! Okay, so a lot of talent and the, in and this one. The score to me, it's very like a, a lot of the percussion drums for me was very remis- reminiscent of like uh, Fulci's Zombie. 
You know, you have a lot of those yeah. scenes with the drums and kind of, I mean, it's voodoo, so maybe sure. that's they're trying to get the voodoo drums and yeah. stuff. If it's diegetic or in zombie, you don't know if it's diegetic or non-diegetic. Right around this time, you get um, Brad Fidel does Serpent in the Rainbow, in yeah, eighty-eight, like which is it has a Craven, right? Yeah, which which, which uh, Wes Craven directed, and uh, that has obviously a lot of those, yeah. like Haitian. Uh, drum. What did we do recently? Oh, that's what we did. We did an episode of again Tales from the Crypt for Halloween last year. The Vault of Horror, the one with um, with uh, what's his name, the Doctor Who. Um, oh yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the what's his name, the Fourth Doctor. Uh, oh, he's got with the red, with the, the big scarf. The scarf. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I always know his name too. But his episode was a was a was a Haitian voodoo episode, and um. He, I remember you'd have throughout it, you'd have the drums, and uh, you don't, you didn't know if it was diegetic or non-diegetic. You didn't know if it was just the soundtrack, uh, if, uh, if he's hearing it. Yeah, if he's hearing it, because at some point he goes off into the woods. Uh, Tom Baker yeah. is the fourth Doctor. Um, he goes off in the woods to get whatever you know the spell he needed to to to, to get his comeuppance in the in that episode for Volta Horror, but you have those drums and it's very, you know, I like the idea in that where it's, you don't know if it's on the soundtrack or if it's actually, he's hearing the ceremony down in the woods. Sure. So when you hear, when you have these, uh, in Mark for Death, you have these, uh, uh, you know, montages almost for the lack of a better term. And yeah. you have the, the, that in the background, you know, it, it's, it's pretty cool when they start getting into that kind of percussion and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's a great score. Uh, in terms of cast-wise, you brought up uh, Daniel Harris. There are a couple of like Carpenter-esque connections here. I mean, Daniel Harris um, plays uh, Jamie Lloyd in Halloween's four and five. Now, who's that in here? She's his niece. Okay, the one who gets hurt at the beginning. Yeah, she's also in like uh, I want to say she's in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Um, she looked familiar. Yeah, she was in a lot of stuff yeah. when we were young. She looked young in this. Like It looked like she was familiar to me older. Yeah. You know, maybe teenager. She's, um, she does the horror movie circuit, now, uh, convention circuit. Uh, she's very active on social media with her fans and stuff. I mean, she seems really awesome. She was in the Rob Zombie uh, Halloween. Okay. Uh, the remake. Re- remakes. And um, so you get her, which is kind of a Carpenter connection, even though Carpenter doesn't really have anything to do with four and five. But you get, of course, you get Keith David from the thing, yep, and yep. they live great, solid part, and of this. Uh, a nice little cameo by Peter Jason, who has been, I think, I could be wrong, but in basically every John Carpenter movie since Prince of Darkness, he's uh, he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, he he plays the guy um, who I think in the beginning how he, when he goes to try to retire when he goes to retire. Yeah, um, the FBI, the Pete CIA Stone. guy, but uh, Peter Jason is it's a very familiar face to our generation because he's just like a bit player. No, it's, it's in it, everything. It seems that there was a you know, and this goes back to almost a bigger discussion that we had on Nighthawks, where it's like it seems like they had a lot more, they had a bigger cut for this movie. Like it was like there was a director's cut, and they cut a lot yeah. out either for timing or for for graphics. I think some of it definitely for violence. Yeah. Um, one more casting note, just because. Uh, this is someone that uh, I, you know Dion will appreciate for sure. Of course, you got uh, Joanna Peculia, yeah, who she plays Kate in Tombstone, yeah, <laughs> so and she's, another uh, from our Tombstone episode. And he saw her in Gorky Park, which I think might be uh, what's this Lee Marvin's last movie, and uh, the director liked her, and that's why he put her in this movie. Uh, it's I bring up the, the the extended cut because a lot of these scenes. 
or a lot of this seems like there could have been more stuff with these people that got cut. Yeah, you know, because there's they are they are great cameos, but it just seems like you could have had a little more with the family. There's a scene if even if you watch the trailer, there's a couple scenes in the trailer where the conversations that aren't even in the movie. You know, yeah. Where he's like, he's like, "What are you gonna? Do? What are you worried?" And so I was like, "No, I'm just a concerned citizen." You know, like some cool one-liners that don't make the movie. And definitely, it was cut for for violence because there's there's a couple like I guess in I, in the trailer too. There's a scene where he like he karate chops somebody in the neck, and yeah. in the in the movie you only see him kick the guy and the guy's dead. You know, so it's like there's some other stuff that. Yeah, you know, there was there is some talk about how they had to cut back on some of the violence to try to get, to make it an R rating. But, I mean, it's still pretty violent. So it would be cool if somebody, you know, got together. And I know it's, a, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big fan of this movie that we're always saying the the lines back and forth from this movie with the Jamaican accents. And he was saying, like, you know, it'd be cool if somebody put out a streaming service that could take these movies and give them director's cuts. And I was like, oh, that's that, that's a great idea on, on, the, on, the, on the surface. But you got to think about... You could take, say, already and take movies that have director's cuts and put them on your streaming service. But to think about going back to like Nighthawks or all these 80s action movies that we know had a bigger cut and they were they were cut down for whatever reason, most likely maybe violence. It'd be so hard. It's a huge, yeah. that it's a huge expense it, just yeah. aside from trying to find all the elements to try to actually that put might it together, not even exist anymore. Remaster them. That that's the sad thing is you know it would be great to be able to to, to have. A, to have these things come out in DVD and have these director's cuts for all these movies that we know yeah. about. Like, we, we we talked at length well, the, last week about I mean, Nighthawks. This movie doesn't have as much um, documentation yeah. as Nighthawks had in terms of, like, how presumably the cut changed. And there lo- there's lobby card pictures. From, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, so there's a, just, like, a lot of documentation kind of pointing out, like, how different the original intention or the original cuts were of that movie and how it changed. Uh, there just is not a whole lot of information about this movie. Sure. Available in general. You know, some of the movies that we tackle, obviously there's huge, you know, tons of information or we find our interesting way to get into them, like your Aikido connection in this one uh, for this film. But some of these movies, there's just not, especially when we get to more recent stuff, not that this is recent, but there's the page. There's just like, you know, there's just not a whole lot to to look up. Yeah. But I did find it would, what is interesting in looking at a movie now from 1990 as part of that wave of martial arts movies, uh, revisiting this movie because I don't think I've seen this movie since the 90s probably. Yeah, I, I, I knew this movie well because we had it on tape. This was a movie that I actually drew on the side. I drew like the logo, yeah. Mark for Death, but I watched the crap out of it back then, but I was saying to you before we started, before we watched this, I haven't probably seen this movie in 25 years. You know, yeah. probably since high school or when we got into college because, you know, by that time I wasn't re-watching these kind of I movies. I wasn't... Um I I liked the Steven Seagal movies. I certainly was never anti-Seagal, and I rented them, and I like them, but I bought Van Damme movies. Well, that's the thing. You were a uh, Stallone guy. Uh, yeah. I was an Arnold guy. You were a Van Damme guy. I was a Seagal yeah, guy. Yeah, kind of, there were <laughs> two sides of the same coin, yeah. but, you know, but, you know, where we both appreciate I the like other guy where you like Quantum Leap. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, I mean, I like Quantum Leap, and you like Yeah, well, that's you know? like, I like yeah. Schwarzenegger, and you like Stallone, but, like, yeah. we, you know, we leaned more towards the th- other, the other, the other side of that coin, and so, like, I was a Van Damme guy, 
but I, you know, certainly rented these movies. Um, for some reason, I have a f- recollection of my mom liking Steven Seagal, mm-hmm. like thinking he was sexy or something sure. in these movies. Um, but uh, what's interesting to watch these movies now, and, and certainly Seagal's style of martial art and the way they're shot is a much less flashy, grandiose style of martial art than than the way than what like Van Damme was presenting with like splits and big flip kicks and all that stuff. So it's very interesting to now watch like a 1990 martial art movie in general and specifically a Seagal movie after now having 30 years of Jackie Chan, yeah, Jet Li, sure. Donnie Yen, uh, you know, this resurgence of a more authentic Hong Kong Kung Fu style. Yeah. And then taken to, you know, the next level of like the Matrix and the way all that stuff is filmed. Sure. It's really interesting to look back and see like almost how rudimentary it is. Yeah. And, and not in a, not in any kind of negative way, just a different one, a different style of martial art to a def, very different way of filming how a martial art is filmed. I just thought in that way, it's a very interesting juxtaposition. You know, it's, it's, as I said before, we're with Above the Law, his first movie, they name it Aikido. He's an Aikido instructor where after probably that first movie, down the line, he's more of just a martial arts expert, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, certainly in his later movies, as well as this one, they're not really necessarily highlighting the martial art. Where this, to me, they're shooting it more like a thriller, cop movie, gang movie. Definitely. And then he's able to, in a situation, fuck somebody up. And let's just film that. But it's not like in the other movies you may curtail it around Van Damme being able to do a split well, yeah, around well, house, They're about motion. the fact that he's participating in a martial arts yeah, tournament. Or whatever. Or that kind of thing. You know, I think Van Damme, then Brandon Lee, that starts, that's the beginning of, you start to see this more... Um, attention put into displaying the acrobatics of martial arts yeah. in a way. Uh, and then of course, like you said, when Jackie, you know, when we get rumble in the Bronx yeah, uh, and then it kind of like the paradigm shifts yeah, and then they bring in, they start bringing, Oh, like we can make money with these Asian guys. And that's when and I we'll think- even have child <laughs> fat. Who's not a martial arts guy. Yeah. Start doing them. Cause he looks like you can do them. You know? <laughs> Make him do martial I mean, Because arts you look too. at like Sonny Chiba never really hit it off here. You know, people knew if no. you were into the scene, you knew street fighter, you knew that, you know, he's got the cameo and kill bill, but he never really yeah. made it there's because a, his movies were what seventies into the eighties. He was like Bruce Lee's generation. Yeah. Right? And there's a movie like certainly, Look, there's a whole section of when the straight to video thing happens. Yeah, you know, and they're just they're trying to fill you know, that this trying to fill a market. You know, yeah. so you get like Billy Blanks. Yeah, uh, which is coming off of what I feel like that Dudikoff thing, and then you start getting he was a, wasn't he for a minute the uh, subway. He was like the subway spokesman, Billy Blanks. He may have been. But I think when you and I used to go to subway regularly, we because yeah, the, then he invented like the Tybo. Yeah, and stuff that, around that time because before they they got rid of him and they brought the Jared in. Yeah, yeah. we don't talk about Jared anymore. <laughs> but he was, you know, he but, like, was Billy, Billy Blanks, Blanks yeah. was in a movie with sure. Roddy Piper that me and my friends used to watch yeah. when I was in high school, and then Roddy Piper did a movie with Sonny Chiba. Oh. 
Okay. Called I think it was called Immortal Combat. I do remember that title. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So like Sonny Chiba came in and like there was like look, martial arts movies are big they right were. now. People They're like just them, you know throwing like, Hey you, you know martial arts? Put them in there. Yeah, uh Jinkata. Yeah. Jinkata, which you gave me the <laughs> Blu ray a number of years ago. You know, there was like this big Which movie I gave you? It was it's called Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta. I feel like it was laying around your the office somewhere where you work and you it was when you used to give me like books that were just like, Oh here, you know, like Van Halen, here's a Van Halen book oh, yeah, that yeah. somebody left at the office or or they brought copies or there was some or maybe it was when you work at a Tommy K's. I don't remember. But yeah. it's a martial arts movie about this guy who's a gymnast. That's called Jim Cotta. Nice. And uh but there was like this period of time, yeah, where they were, and it's and it's interesting the rise of that where you have we we talk and about the '80s action movie, and then this segue, and certainly the four at the forefront of that movement, at the peak of that movement was uh, Seagal and Van Damme, yeah, and like I said, like Seagal was an interesting filling an interesting void of the diehard Bruce Willis yeah. type cop. Lethal weapon. Who could also fuck shit up, shit up with yeah. martial arts. And so he had his own little niche there. Yeah, and he was doing in, that, in his first... F- and unfortunately, I think like when you get to things like On Deadly Ground... That's when he's trying he's, to... It's, he's starting to get away from that niche, yeah. and I think ultimately maybe That's when it to, doesn't to work. his detriment. Yeah. Because like he had that thing, and even it works even in Under Siege. Yeah. Which is, he's at his peak there. Even though he's not a cop, but it's like Under he's, Siege he's is... He's something. He's CIA. I forget what he is in Under Siege, but his first... I mean, he's a cop in Above the Law. He's a cop in Hard to Kill. He's a cop in Mark for Death. He's a cop in Out for Justice. Um... And then I think it's under siege, and then under siege, he's like, I'm he's just like a cook, yeah, but he's, he's but he's like ex CIA. He's there. He's well, he was he's demoted. Like, he's like the cook on an aircraft carrier. Though, right? Yeah, or he like was a on battleship. a battleship, but he's yeah, but he's there because he was demoted. Something happened, and he got in trouble, and now he's just a cook, you know. And, and Michael DeBar is in that movie. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole slew of Gary Busey, Tommy Lee Jones, and that was the breakout movie for Tommy Lee Jones, which is to say, Tommy Lee Jones had been around for 20 years, but he hadn't had. You know, the next after that, he he does the fugitive, and then now Tommy yeah. Lee Jones. Is, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Bang, you're dead. Uh, and he's Tommy Lee Jones is fabulous in um in Under Siege. Uh, you know, because they made him at the end. They have like that crazy knife fight with the you know with the, with yeah, the knives yeah. uh, with the butcher. That's great. You know, and Tommy Lee Jones was no martial artist. You know, uh, but it's just you know it's these movies that are so interesting uh, that and, and you're right. The style here is just like you know it's. It's not. It showcases it like this. You know, you look at certain scenes in his movies. Like you know, Above the Law has a great couple scenes where he, he fucks some shit up. This movie, like when they go into the jewelry store, you know, yeah. that's very classic. That's with the like, ju- like that's the big scene. Yeah, where he he's, he's throwing people through glass. He's, he's doing. He's breaking their arms, doing shionagis. He's flipping people over. Um, well, but he just like. Oh, that one that guy, guy oh. takes the guy's knife. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, <laughs> he just plants it right to his chest. And then, the, and then the other one where the guy's getting up with his arm broken, Keith yeah, David yeah. runs and butts him in the face with the with the stock of the gun. So uh, Seagal at the beginning of this, like we said, is it's funny because and then it's he's he you know there's a very heavy mafia uh, Catholic connection and above the law because he's he's part of the church. He knows the priest, and then that gets then the, there's a church bombing. Sounds like we should have done above you know, the law. <laughs> 
This movie, I know, it's a great movie. I was thinking even doing like, let's do a double feature. This movie, there's another Catholic connection because remember, he, his cop is, when his partner gets killed, and then the first thing he goes to the church and he's like, Father, yeah. I don't know. And he sees, you know, I, I've, I've falsified evidence. I've slept with people. I need to, I've done everything. I've, I've taken drugs. I've uh, fucked my wife. I've had sex with a dog. And he, what should I do? And the church, the, he's like, go, go home. to your family. Yeah, go you home. Know what? And, Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're too evil. And so when he, that's the church still has a connection in this movie because as you get all he kind of changes and by the time you get to like on deadly ground he's more of a buddhist he's suddenly he's turning asian yeah. you know and then you look at him now there was years where you thought he, he looked like he was from japan because he started because he got a little bigger and i was sound his hair he's almost got like the herman munster kind of a yeah the, like a widow's peak yeah widow's peak and then now He's now living in Russia or Serbia. He's got a dual citizenship in Serbia and in Russia. Vladimir Putin gave him up the passport and citizenship. So now he's now he's looking like Eastern European, like not so Asian. Yeah. But it's trajectory of him being like in these movies. It was a heavy Roman Catholic, and then by the time you get to like his peak and he's going. That it turns and then all of a sudden because there's interviews you watch in some movies from these straight to DVD movies. He's like. He's like in some like uh, Japanese gi bathrobe in front of like a Buddhist that's bigger than him, a Buddhist statue, yeah. and there's like a gong, and there's you know there's yeah, but he also you know, like wasn't writing these early movies. Yeah, well, he said. I mean, so, this movie that he I mean, says he 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 wrote, and there was there was some sort of screenplay con- confliction. Yeah, he claims that he yeah wrote that, like ninety three. He rewrote like ninety three percent of it, yeah. and he wanted screenwriting credit, but he didn't get it from the writers' guild. And then he put in a complaint with them, and so the this movie comes out of one of the screenwriters saw a story on this where there was these. Uh, these Jamaican gangs going into certain neighborhoods and then started like suburbia. Yeah, and they were like, "That's a pretty cool idea." So they supposedly went down to Jamaica, and they they I don't know if they, these two are connected, but they they talked to the biggest uh, drug dealing kind of Mo- Tony Montana esque kind of boss somewhere either in America or in Jamaica as research, and then they went to Jamaica, maybe Kingston, and then they got some background on. Um, Jamaica, because it's very two different things. Because when I was little, you think about like I was like, oh, Jamaicans voodoo, and the Jamaicans that's not voodoo is Haitian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all very Haiti. You know, but we don't care. You know, we don't know. It's it's yeah. like Predator too. You know, it's like it's homogenous. Yeah, it's like it's, it's foreign. Yeah, threat. <laughs> you know, we don't <laughs> For know like a suburban, especially like late eighties, early nineties, like ignorant suburban white. Yeah, audience. we don't know, or even just more of America in general, or the Western audience. We don't know about these kind of things. So, and, you know, voodoo is based out of, like, uh, African tribal religions then mixed with Christianity when they went down to the islands and brought there as slaves. Where, you know, Jamaicans are more like Rastafarians. A lot of, like, if you're a true Rasta um, Jamaican, you're vegan. You know, you're, 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 you know, you're not eating any kind because of, of your religious beliefs. You eat yeah. all that kind and of... I also don't really you know, say voodoo in this, to my recollection. No. It's just kind of some kind of like miscellaneous black magic. black magic. You know, whereas in Predator 2, I think there is... I don't know. I don't remember if there is voodoo talked about with the Jamaicans and stuff like that. But and, there is another, like, aspect of some kind of black magic yeah, miscellaneous well, because they think the predator my yeah oh, yeah it's, it's it's part of that yeah it's part of the he's an evil god or a demigod coming down so in this movie uh, marked for death Sagal goes back to suburban chicago suburbia 
to try to get back with his family. You have, again, bring up uh, Above the Law. At the beginning of Above the Law, there's a big outdoor barbecue where you meet, you meet the extended family. In this movie, there's that scene where he, he, he walks in on a barbecue and they're like, ah, like the kid doesn't even know him. He's like, I'm, this is your uncle. He's like, okay, uncle. You know, and then there's, they're having... You know, what's funny, though, is like he walks into the backyard and then he meets all these other kids. Yeah. And like, this is Uncle fucking whatever. Joe Blow. And, but it's like that kid... Uncle Nico he's, That kid's really just like the neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's not the little brother but there's, of Daniel there's, Harris. There's all these other people you meet. Like, you know that one guy, the first guy you meet, you think he's going to play a bigger role in it. It's like, he's like, hey, Tony. He shakes and then like he never... And then he... Sagal's slapping a lot of people in the face. He's like, yeah, yeah. hey, come on, come on, buddy. Come on, Chico. Come on, come on, you know, Babalupo. You know, it's like he's hitting people. You're like, ow, 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 ow. So um, he's very physical in this movie. So you get to meet the extended family, and that's another thing where it's like, I feel like they maybe cut some of that. Like, you maybe got more of the family. Yeah. Uh, like a three-hour cut of... Yeah, of, of Mark for Death. <laughs> Mark for Death. And then he goes back to, like, his high school, and, and they don't, they're not really clear, but I guess Keith, David, and him were maybe in Nam together. That's what it looks like from the picture. Yeah, because... Of the implication. Because I remember my wife was like, what is he, just a... He takes the high school coach? <laughs> it's like a high school coach. I was like, well, no, there's a... They, they had special forces connections. And, there's a photo. Yeah, of the of Seagal and... and yeah, because he goes back and he's cleaning the, the gun. And <laughs> it's a very... It's a weird <laughs> juxtaposition, that scene, because... It's like his childhood room, but he's got all these. But there's like a gun collection on the, on the wall, <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, and it's not just like there's a couple antique guns there, but yeah. then he's got like a 1911 Colt 45. So I'd be worried about the children in the house yeah, getting yeah. access to these weapons. That are like, just, was he collecting guns as a kid? You know, or, or in his twenties? So any any. There's a real nice touching scene where he takes like this little pocket gun, this little like uh, palm gun, and he cleans it out, and he's looking at everything. Uh, and then he go, and then I guess that gives him an idea to go visit Keith David, and we get the Rudy scene where like we're in high school yeah. and we're doing f- football, and the Jamaican guys are there getting the the white kids on crack, and uh, that's where you start getting the tension where Keith David's like they're coming in, you know, what he say my he says my nephew OD'd on crack last year, and it's a touchy subject for me. And they go to the random, they just go to like their old bar. He's like, I remember this place. And then there's this big shootout. He's like, you know, blood and glory. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this huge shootout prior to that, though, when we get the introduction to Screwface, you have the Colombian guy. I guess w- the backstory is that the Colombians have this neighborhood and this is secure, the high school area. And the Jamaicans are starting to push into this. So Lincoln that, Heights or whatever, Lincoln yeah. High School or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the Lincoln, yeah. And the, um, the Jamaicans are coming down the territory. So then they have this meet uh, where I think it might be the first time you meet Screwface at the pool. And I love all the art, like all the African art that's drawn on the walls of all this, you know, the implications. Like you could see like slaves coming in chains. Yeah, and there's no you know, real... It just adds to like the level of like the mysticism. There's or the mysticism, yo- oh, you know, but there's also like. I don't mean that magic. I just meant like the. Yeah, like a ro- like a romantic mystery. Or yeah, like it's like it's like giving you a, a, it's a visual backstory that you can yourself just read into. What's what this is? You I know? wish there was like more of a backstory of not even like, not even like an origin story of Screwface, but just like one offline. But like where like th- there's there because then the end fight is in some like weird club somewhere. <laughs> You know, like where's that? It's like some kind of weird club. But then there's an elevator shaft. Well, then, well, it, it, well, I think that was. It's the factory because I think it's the factory that they're. It's the. I think it's the it's club the where Jimmy Cliff is playing. 
right? Yeah. Maybe no. Is that that was I in Jamaica? I don't know. It's a, it's a weird. I know what you're saying. Yeah, because then there's like they're in the back and there's all these red stripe boxes and you're like, yeah. what, is this a red stripe factory? But then he starts throwing them. Th- then they're in a bar. Oh yeah, just throwing them through, through, the, throwing glass. Them through yeah. the glass. And then he's then then all of a sudden they're in the back again. It must be a factory they converted into a bar because then there's a big elevator. Yeah. Shop. So the, the geography of it it's, is it's, weird. It's but I see, but the lakes are going to be like, you know, and then like they're playing cards and just like an empty. Which might be also another warehouse. <laughs> so I just I want to know like I want to know the the operation yeah, and where the and like well, how well, much money's I, got. See, I wonder where he's this investing is, this money other than drugs. you wonder if this is all part of that this director's <laughs> cut we need. You know, so the Colombian guy, the actor who he's in Scarface, he's in Carlito's way. He's the guy like retired, you're retired. That's that actor. He kind of looks like Noriega. Yeah. If people know who Noriega is from the late eighties, early nineties. Then he, he meets with Screwface. We get the appearance of Screwface, and he's telling him, like, hey, you know, you're pushing into, you know, we have the neighborhood. Let's make a deal, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, you know, then they're trying to, I'll, I'll take it under consideration. And then you have that scene where I'd I be everywhere. It's very scary because you see him walking over there, and he's over here. And I, and I. And he's got. Uh, over here. Yeah, over here. <laughs> turn around, turn around. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, you never know. Um, but Basil Wallace, the guy who plays Screwface, this may be his first movie. He was born, I think, in Jamaica, raised maybe on Long Island or in Queens. Queens, yeah, I think. So uh, he has Jamaican heritage. I, uh, obviously, he's putting on the accent. They gave him contacts. I just think he looks so crazy. He's great. You may slag off the costuming because he's wearing like the Letterman jackets or the Arsenio Hall. But that was the, you know, yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. remember in the early he's 90s. Pl- he's pl- when they're like playing dominoes or whatever he's wearing like a Cosby sweater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that was this, you know, in, in, in the, but with like biker shorts and some of those things. <laughs> like Speedo. You know? But you got to see like, like in that era of like New Jack City and all that, that was like the, or Boys in the Hood, the African, the, the uh, you know, it was very bright, you know, all the Spike Lee, yeah, you know, yeah, all that yeah. stuff was like a lot of crazy colors or pro, you know, with the African, uh, Africa, you know, as a symbol. But look at Seagal. Seagal's wearing, he's got two dragons on the front. He's got a tiger on his back in that jacket. <laughs> he's got the, you know, one of the scenes when he walks into his room, he's wearing those tight blue jeans. Like they're almost like the light blue jeans, you know, and like his package is hanging out. And it's, and it's, he has a weird way of standing. And then the next scene when they go to that bar, it's like, oh, he's, he's, he looks hip now because the tight jeans are kind of in style, you know. Uh, but the other stuff kind of looks dated, you know, what they're yeah. wearing. So, uh, when you get Screwface, that begets, I guess, the next. So that that Colombian guy goes to a Black Magic girl, and he's like, he wants to put a spell. So it's weird. So the Colombians in this movie, you're thinking that oh, he must he's evil magic, and he thinks something's evil. Remember, he says to the girl, "You have yeah. to stop it." So he goes and gives her money to put a spell to get Screwface out. Then you have this scene where she gets naked, gets into a tub with the great score we're talking about, yeah. and then she, you know, she she she. Throwing Bacardi, she kills. She slices a roosters uh, to get the blood all over the picture, and then you cut to like Screwface waking up. Ah! So he's like, I guess her fucking shit is working. Yeah, yeah. And there then is, then there is this whole you know like, subplot of, 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 of black magic going on. And then that the next, unfortunately, doesn't yeah, really it doesn't, pay off in any yeah, way. Yeah, you don't really. So then the next scene of Screwface is he remember he found that girl and he's yeah. got her naked on the thing and he's putting so he does something of her and he. And he then he, he ends up he takes her soul and he stabs her, and then we get to where Keith David and Seagal are going to the bar to just hang out, and then there's this and then you know the, there's this big freaking crazy ass shootout for, and I don't even know what I I couldn't figure out why they're just 
Like what the goal was? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I think they're there to assassinate the one the, guy, the, the Colombians. <laughs> but it's like, why didn't they just wait till he got outside? They just go crazy, and then you know, they're they're, they're, they're just yelling like you know, blood and glory, job. You know, so Seagal intervenes, and then because he intervenes, he's like, "You're a dead man." Yeah, of course, you know, the, the FBI guy—he's a familiar guy. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's he, the guy's like, you know, you want to, you know, Nico Toscani will call him Nico. Nico, come on, why don't you come? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm retired. And that girl's like, he doesn't look retired to me. <laughs> <laughs> His cock looks huge. Whoa, whoa, oh, come on, come on! This is only the second scene in the movie. Uh, there is, you, but now that you bring it up, there is just like a lot of stuff. It's like I just feel like it there's fell just on like the there's floor. Hint, there's, there's like a lot of hinting at things, yeah. but no, because even like you know, the detective Leslie Davalos, the Joanna Pocula, yeah, like there seems like there's got to be more to that story. Yeah, and she's like not, following this, and she's got a, she's like interested in like the black magic part of it. Because remember, goes like, to her place for help. She, she's got all that shit around in her yeah, house. She's asking her about the symbols and the towel and she tongue, knows, you know. She's like, oh, this means this, and that's great too. And the just, way, the only way you can beat him is just to like to, to show the the warriors that taking his magic, yeah, his magic away, and so they won't keep following you. That he's dead, and you God said, damn, him it, we need a director, <laughs> 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 extended. So then you have uh, they do a, for that. they do a drive by at his house, and that's when his his niece gets shot, and then yeah. they have to go to the hospital. And that draws him back in, like you said. And then the mother's like, or the sister's like, "You did this." She's like, "Really, fucking you, fucking." And it's kind of true. I mean, he did, you know. <laughs> yeah, they were fine. And then they fucked the whole house up. And then he goes back to the house, and they've got that that symbol on the carpet again. They got a towel, a, a cow's tongue on the door. Like, you know, he's fucking marked for death. If you yeah. didn't know by now, he's marked. For <laughs> and death. now he has been marked for death. So he goes to Keith Davies. He's like, "I've been marked for death. Let's go fuck some shit up." And you know, and then. That they have to go to Jimmy Fingers. Jimmy Fingers is this like mob guy who uh, I guess he's selling them guns, and it's a connection to the Italian mob. And that's a one of the most famous scenes in the movie. Well, he where they bails <laughs> out somebody. Oh, he bail. Oh, yeah, he bails out the guy that got arrested that Stagall took down in the in the uh, in the shootout. He, he knocked the guy out, yeah. and, you know. So. The next scene is they break into where Jimmy Fingers is. He's he's doing some crazy shit with two hookers. And then there's a Jamaican guy in the bathroom. So I don't know if the Jamaican guy was just there Jimmy to hang Dom. out. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, he was hanging out with Jimmy Fingers because he's fully dressed. He's not like Jimmy Fingers is like in a Speedo. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So, and then uh, he kills Jimmy Fingers and then he then he's going to get this guy. And that guy ends up committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. he's like, you know, verse, what, screw, what Screwface is going to do to me is worse than what you're going to do yeah, to me. A thousand times worse. So he jumps and then he, and you see him great fall uh, into a, it was like a Cadillac, ruined some guy's Cadillac, uh, on, and breaks the thing. He dies. You know, I, somebody should have. I feel like the measurement of from the buildings to where the cars are parked. It's not. It's, well, he had a running start as well. It's not a proper because every movie they hit a car, they hit a parked car. Yeah, perfectly <laughs> so on the roof. Either somebody's like, you know, if somebody <laughs> jumped off, I'm gonna park my car here. This is gonna <laughs> it'll break their fall. Yeah, or they were like, damn it, we should have moved it. I was always gonna restore that car, and then so you get the Segal line, which is like the classic where he gets. It's almost like an Eastwood line where Keith David was waiting in the car. He's like, what happened? He's like. One guy thought he was invisible. The other thought he was could fly. And he's like, so he's like, they turns like they were both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's like the great. There's a lot of lines. You know, in this one. then the next scene, which is fabulous, is your warehouse Screwface. They're playing dominoes, and we don't know if Screwface was losing in dominoes because he's because he because then the guy comes in he's and tells him it was an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the like, guy, I'm losing this yeah, this, this I throw a fit right, right now. Yeah, I'll get out of it. <laughs> he comes over and the guy whispers in the ear. We're, he's like, hey, they killed Jimmy Fingers and they killed you know your boy Jimmy. I don't know what his name was. He's like, and I love. It. He's like, the white boy Hacha, the white boy Hacha did it. You know, and then then that's when he flips out, grabs a chair, a table leg, knocks yeah, one guy he knocks in the face. Over the thing, just rips a table leg. <laughs> he hits right one off. guy in the face. He's like, I want them killed. And that's great. Where he's like, I want them killed. And he goes up to the guy's face. He's like, Oh, I'm kill him then I'm going to kill you Screwface is fucking freaky we understand why people are scared of Screwface to work for him um, like I'm trying to get my timing right here of, of the chronology of the movie so then the next scene isn't it is where Steven Seagal calls his sister yeah because because the guy fucked up because because Hatcher was still alive yes like the, the drive-by didn't work. Yeah. So, so he's like, I want him dead. I want his family yeah, yeah, dead. Exactly. You get the untouchables. I want his house burned to the ground. <laughs> I want to be able to go piss on his ass. You get that scene. That's the screw face scene from the yeah. untouchables. So um, you get the next scene. And then, you know, they, they got the posse. And, and what's his face is driving a great Dodge well, Charger. He calls, the, David. he calls the sister after he talks to the woman. Because that's when he realizes, like, she's like, your family's marked for death. Oh, okay, yeah. Because then he's like, oh, shit, and then he I calls gotta, up. So, yeah, he's heading back. Um, Keith Davis got this awesome uh, Dodge Ram Charger, high off the ground, great 4 by 4 Seagal is driving a great uh, 1973 Mach 1 Mustang. Uh, fabulous Mustang, which you don't see in a lot of movies. That around 1970, they changed that look into those. Yeah. Going from, like, the, the Steve McQueen kind of a 69, 68 kind of a look. Um, so, uh, Doc Silverman from Terminator, you know, the psychiatrist, yeah. psychiatrist he's yeah. the doctor he's and, the it, doc, he's, yeah. and he's like treating the, the, the girl who got shot, the kid who got shot in the drive on. He's like, you treat her like the president. He tried to get away from psychology after, yeah, after, the, shoot, ter- <laughs> after the shootout in Terminator <laughs> went into, oh, it's parapsychology. Well, we're going to find out, uh, you know, uh, in technical terminology, he's a loon. So yeah, he's just doing ER. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get away. away. He's trying to get away, and then he's like, Seagal, he's like, I treat him like the president. He's like, well, we treat everybody like that. He's like, treat him like the fucking president. He's like, okay, okay, whatever you say. Just please, I have to go back to work. Oh, my, my pager's going off. <laughs> so um, uh, you get the scene then where Screwface shows up at her house. Yeah. And there's a line which uh, he says, stop your blood clot crying. Now, for pe- people who are... Uh, fans of the, the, the Notorious B.I.G. I put this together. There's a song off of Life and Death, which is... Uh, was it Life, Life, Life After Death? I'm sorry. That's um, Biggie's last album before he dies because he only did two when he was alive. And uh, it's a two-disker. Two and the last song on Life After Death on disc two is You're Nobody Until Somebody Kills You. And in that song, because uh, Biggie had... Jamaican kind of roots he says he quotes stop your blood clot crying the kids the dog everybody dying no lying so I'm making the the jump here on this podcast that Biggie in 1995 or 6 is quoting uh, Screwface because Screwface says stop your blood clot crying and then Biggie in a Jamaican kind of voice says stop your blood clot crying the kids the dog everybody dying no lying so I think he's referencing Marked for Death here. So the point is, Screwface grabs the sister. Next scene, she's hot. You know, 
you think they're going to do something evil. And it's even crazier because they put her on the coffee table. He's like, what do you say? He's like, we don't want your body, meaning they're not going to rape her. Yeah, He's yeah. like, you want your soul. And then he does that crazy fucking... He, he takes some blood or whatever, and he makes a he does like a he does like a little uh, a ta- he tags her body, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then he's like, you know, we're gonna, you know, that, and, and that's because cra- then you don't even realize he says to her, now we've got your soul. Well, don't at the end of the movie they have to do something with the girl to get to get the soul back. You know what I mean? Because is her, is her soul still condemned? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's another. It's another. It's <laughs> the director's cut. <laughs> that's the sequel that's coming up. But Seagal... Well, that's um, above the law. It's getting a sequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so then Seagal comes in time to save her. They they take off. They got her still strapped. And she's like, look what you fucking... This fucking... My house is tall. Out of the, yeah. And I, I don't know what... I was supposed to just drive into the house. That's what I thought he was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to the money, he's like the, the Mustang's too worth too much money. I can't do that. And then, do they ever make a? Do they ever establish where the husband is? No. Okay. I assume that that was the guy at the party that gave him the hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I guess then right. he disappeared. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I gotta go. Separated. Something. He was just there for the party. Exactly, because he heard he's N- at his Nico like, tiny was coming studio. Paying half his wages to, to, to have her in this big ass house in Chicago, <laughs> circa like uh, you know what's his face, uh, John Candy or Chevy Chase. So. Uh, then the next scene is like you have that big ch- chase, which is actually a really cool chase, where they drive up on the Mercedes with the one guy who got bailed out of jail. And yeah. then, you know, there's a big shootout. They get into a big chase. Now you're driving. Suddenly they go through a park. And then suddenly we go from Chicago. They're like on Wilshire Boulevard in L.A. They're, you know, they're chase. They get on the sidewalk. Some great stuntman work where it looks like, the, you know, anybody makes the wrong move, they'll get run over because there's people sitting at tables that they yeah, have to yeah. run out of. Um, Seagal is, he's got these, like, homemade, it's another thing where Seagal is actually a really good marksman. And to get to that law show that he had, that reality show was, he used to go down to, like, New Orleans or outside that parish and he would do seminars where he'd teach the police how to do hand-to-hand combat through Aikido and he would teach marksmanship. And that's how he became an honorary deputy. And apparently, it was around this time that he became an honorary deputy. Yeah, and like that's around marked for death. And that's what begot the reality show. You know, that twenty years later. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's a very good shot. And he, so, but he also has guns custom made for him. So those two forty fives in the movie, he had custom made for this movie. And there's another movie. There's another gun, the HK nine. At the end, that he has with the silence of the machine gun. He had made, and that evidently sold at auction for for somebody. Maybe Seagal's wife got cancer. See, like we always say on the internet, everything's all hyperbole. Yeah. But um, so Seagal's driving. He's behind the wheel where you got Keith David shooting the shotgun. Seagal's got both hands on the forty-five. So what, 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 let me think if I can do this right. So Seagal gets in front of them, right? He does a, he does a 90-degree turn, he, and then he starts going after him. He shoots with both hands, and then the second later... He, He's, he doesn't have his hands on the wheel. The, the, the truck does a perfectly 90-degree turn. So Sagamos had to, like, oh, shit, drop the gun. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> Do the, execute the beautiful turn. They end up in the this jewelry store. Knee. Yeah, exactly. He's using his knees. They go through the, the, the glass into the Tiffany's, and it's like a rich like Tiffany's kind of like jewelry store. They get out. People are screaming, and she, he comes up. You know. Meanwhile, there's, they're not cops. They have no badges. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, 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 good they're, point. Totally good point. They have no, you know, we've got high school Vigilante justice. <laughs> straight. The cause is so, so they're, they're shooting guns. They're maybe running people over. They were going through a park. I mean, they're, you know, they're I, going by like yeah. a jungle high gym. High school football coach. Yeah, high school football coach. <laughs> 
and this ex CIA guy, the the, the 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 car made air came down on the street. So they end up in this. People are screaming, and uh, we get that great scene that we were talking about earlier, where he the, the two guys in the car they do some great aikido, fucks those guys up. Uh, it was even so bad that I they censored shocked, some of the violence. I shocked when we watched it. This, excuse me, when we watched it tonight, that um, that scene comes so late. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah, because if you think about it's like the big, like, it's the big, like iconic scene in my head for my memory. So I assumed it would be earlier on, but it is pr- pretty much like in the last half of the second act. Yeah, and it, it's funny too. The all the first appearance of the Jamaicans when they're at the high school, when he's giving the white people the drugs, you hear the first guy say, don't worry, be happy, which is a play on when we were little. That song was huge yeah. by uh, Bobby, remember Don't, where he used to do all yeah, the mouth yeah. stuff, Bobby something. Damn it. But that was a huge, huge song when we were little. Don't worry, McFerrin. be happy. Bobby McFerrin. So that was a pun on, you know, they're like, don't worry, be happy, because they're giving them... <laughs> My brain's on the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right, we're tired. <laughs> so um, I know, you, you know, you don't like to, to go through the movie, but I think the, the hit the points are pretty funny. Uh, so graphic display of Akito he kills both those guys and the next thing is they find out Screwface's Screwface Screwface you boom god he's gone back to Jamaica because they team up now with the reporter and the reporter's like the whole time he's like is he working for us or what man and then the reporter's like I'll, you know, I'll, I've been following Screwface the whole time we go back to Jamaica so they go to Jamaica that's when Seagal's like, we got to get our shit together. He gets all these guns. He meets the, the, the gun dealer. It's very too f- interesting, too. The gun dealer is like, how long have you been sober? He's like, five years. Like, there's all this, like, little incidental. <laughs> okay, he's like, well, stay off the meth. He's like, I will do, Nico. It's like, it's like, oh, he knows the gun dealer. It's like, there's all these little, like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. these guys have these little bits that are really cool. Like, like oh, I like to see what their, what their backstory is. They get these guns. There's this great little montage, like circa the A team of them, like fixing the guns and yeah. doing this stuff and making the silencer and the, the suppressors for the machine. And then they're like, uh, you know, I, it's, it was impressive on the surround. And this might be the first time also that I've seen this widescreen because I hadn't seen this movie True. in 25 years. And when I watched it, on, I saw it in the theater, which was widescreen. And then on video, it was not on widescreen. Yeah, yeah. So it was impressive to see. You know, it's, it was it wasn't huge, but it was wide, which is nice. And the sound was pretty cool. So when you yeah. see them shooting the guns, and it's, you know, he... he he's just a giant side of beef. Yeah, just a side <laughs> of beef. <laughs> and like that, that, that fucking side of beef deserved it, whatever it was. You know, he just unloads, like, like well, I need a side of beef. <laughs> like, okay, how are we going to hang this here? We'll hang it over here, you know. So he, he shoots... <laughs> and then... They, suddenly they're in Jamaica and we don't know how they get the guns to customs and all that but they no, get everything to customs matter. doesn't matter and then they know where the hideout is they go to the mansion suddenly it's like the end of Scarface where like you know, we go to the mansion he's killing and he goes and there's they first meet that girl and the girl gives him the clue with the, the 20 the 20 eyes and the uh, what is it not 20 eyes he's got um he's got uh, <laughs> yeah, two, 52 two eyes so <laughs> 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 like I was doing a count like that means uh, oh fuck so um the the girl gives him the uh, the 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 clue, and uh, they he 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 goes to the to the to, to his to his compound, and I think that's when they're, you get Jimmy Cliff on stage. Yeah, and then that's almost very like Buddy Guy from Things to Do in Denver when you're dead. He's on stage at the beginning. Yeah, for people that don't know, up. Jimmy Cliff is a classic yeah. reggae yeah. artist from the '70s. He's he had up made, there with Bob had, Marley. He almost. had made a movie. Um, called The Harder They Come, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. From the seventies, and he had a uh, he had a hit song. Uh, they all want a piece of the pie. I don't know. I went through a Jimmy Cliff phase. We had, a, oddly enough, I had an economics teacher 
when I was in junior high, uh, who just had a, he was a really weird, quirky guy, and he would show us odd things. And to make some kind of like economics point, we uh, play Jimmy Cliff. We watched that movie because it's all about like how he gets screwed over by the record labels. <laughs> It was a very weird, so like I always had a fondness in my heart for Jimmy Cliff. And so even like now, you know, when he came on, you show him on stage, it wasn't like an interesting Jimmy Cliff. I was like, oh shit, Jimmy Cliff. And they build a drummer in there. I think the drummer's from around midnight. He's a jazz drummer that's playing with the band. Yeah. And right before he goes to Jamaica, they get the last scene where he's driving back to the house to make sure everything's okay. And they have this elaborate setup with the construction. Remember? Then you think there's like some road work being done. And then suddenly they've got... Uh, bulldozers and they crush his car and you know he's stuck and then uh, you know Screwface walks up to him takes like the hat off the construction worker hat and he's like you know me and my sister the guy to fire and he throws the Molotov cocktail in the back and you think fuck Seagal's done for but Seagal's able to squeeze out he's like he squeezes his face on the on the glass and I thought it, it would have been cool nowadays if you if you got a big old cut and scar on his face from getting out of the windshield yeah. in time loses the Mustang Mustang blows up then we get the scene where he, they prepare the guns they go down to Jamaica Jimmy Cliff's in the bar he meets that nice girl doing all those dances and he talks to her and she's like you want to know about Screwface and she's, she tells him anyway so she got out she gives him the secret of Screwface he's got two mouths four eyes and then they go to the mansion, and then they he they fuck shit up. They kill everybody, and he he, he gets into a a, a a big old proper uh, fight with uh, samurai swords, and he gets Screwface in the crotch, and then he beheads him. And then you're like, holy shit, it's done. And then you know everything's done. They high five each other. Everyone's okay. No one's hurt. <laughs> Keith David's high all five, right. You know uh, the other guys. Frame, they, and then the other credits. guy. They're like the other the Seagal must explain. I went to the girl and the girl told me I gotta so okay, we gotta we gotta prove to the so the guy goes back with them and Keith David to, to the yeah. States. They gotta get get the, they get, the, get the head. They gotta get the head, <laughs> but they gotta get the head through customs. Through customs. You know, that must have been his carry on. I don't know, you know. He go he, then they go back to the they they find where the gang is hiding out. They break in and the gang is like, We wanna show you and then they pull out of the duffel bag, screw face's fucking head. Yeah. And it's like, Holy shit, yeah, they you know, they got screw face. And uh, this is the big... Or did they? This is the big twist. And then in the, this is the crazy thing was he's standing by a door and suddenly he, the, the Jamaican guy that's on their side, the cop, he gets impaled through the chest with a samurai yeah. sword. And you see kind out of, of this... through the gut. Is it through the gut comes out? Because he seems dies like, instantly. Seems to come out through the gut. He, uh, and then he's holding Screwface's head and the other side comes another Screwface. Yeah. And suddenly you, you realize... And then he says to him, Judas... Because he's Jamaican, he betrayed. It's almost like you know he's a Judas because he because Judas b- betrayed Jesus to the Romans. So that's c- pretty cool. Drops it, and you find out fuck Screwface's twins. That was his magic and his power. Hence the beginning with the pool scene and all that kind of a thing, which we've probably already ruined this for you. Yeah, you spoiled that all. Yeah, time. <laughs> and then do they? Does he have to? Then they do they they shoot and kill all the the, the guy the gang there, or does he go right after Screwface? So I would assume with Keith David, does he Keith David get shot or hurt? He he just goes after him, but then he does run into a couple of guys on the along the way, he and, he tries, and he tries to block the door. And Keith David's like, "You go after him," because Keith Keith David gets shot in the leg or something. Yeah, shit. okay. And uh, but he does fuck some guy up in the in the uh, warehouse of Red Stripe. <laughs> and, 
I think before he gets the screw face. This movie definitely deserves a novelization because I bet you ever all the questions we're looking for probably are answered you in the novelization. Write a to, uh, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to f- get and this is in, also in contact with Michael Grays and Mark Victor to do a and novel. see if I can get us a copy of the original <laughs> script so we can look at it. And this is the only movie. I, all the movies we said before of of Seagal were all Warner Brothers movies. This is the first and only movie he does with uh, Fox. Uh, Fox Pictures and stuff, 20th Century Fox. So there should be a novelization of everything going on. We get to the top. He starts fighting the other Screwface. Big fight. This Screwface gives him a kind of a fight. It's the first time we really see Seagal's getting the sh- his, his ass kicked to him. A couple hits, throws him through a bar, you know, throw him through the, 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 the yeah. shelves of some glass bar, breaking bottles. Seagal's like, ah, you know, no cuts or anything like that. Um, and then they get the they get the the swords again. They do some more sword fighting. I love when he comes down like right on his head. On yeah, he slices him right. He slices him from like, like the top of his head down to his nose. But he's still like he's like ah, oh, he, he, like he barely just felt n- it. Just, like, like nicked him. Just, just broke the, the tip. skin. Just just the tip. <laughs> just the <to> show. <laughs> and then yeah, how the, good is he could do? <laughs> slips in the tip. And then the. Uh, they, they do some more grappling, and then Seagal does just an old-fashioned wrestling backbreaker on his oh, knee, yeah. back, b- breaks his spine over his knee. Then he's still like, ah! And throws <laughs> the finds the elevator shaft, throw, and then at the bottom of the elevator shaft is metal. Always, I don't know why there's always a, a sharpened pipe. <laughs> well, I think it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be springs down there to stop an elevator in case it falls, but there's just a sharpened metal pipe that's just bare there, he, and, and there's an open door. He doesn't even need to open the door. It's just a... No, uh, it's like a already, freight elevator. Yeah, it's already open, and he throws him down, gets impaled, and he says that funny line, which is the last, day of the mo- last line of the movie. Stick like, around. <laughs> <laughs> no, he says, I hope there weren't triplets. He's letting off steam. You know, he's, let, he's let off some steam, Bennett. Yeah, where is he? I, I, I let him go. Um, and he says that, that line where he's like, I hope there weren't triplets. You know, and that yeah. got a big laugh. And then, the the, and then you get like the, the rest s- of the Jamaican band, like a uh, gang coming in and looking down the elevator oh, yeah, shaft, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like perfectly. And that's, that's like kind of like. Now, out of the whole movie. I find that almost a little demeaning. It's almost like the, you know, they're coming like, oh, you know, they're looking like it's like the, the minions. It's like the, they're like, yeah, yeah. you know, like it's like the, the stupid people like, oh, you know, I find that kind of like uh, patronizing, you know, like that they're going to be like, oh, you know, it's so simple. Like, okay, maybe we should just start playing some music and, you know, it's like, you know, Shit. so I find that a little pandering. But then you see like the, the Seagal grabs the guy that got impaled. I, I assume he's dead, but he takes the body. So, and, and Keith Davis limping and they, they leave the factory and that's the end yeah. of it. and then you have some like it'd be great if you have some rock song but they have the the John Crow song John yeah. Crow nah, 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 too strong you know it's in Seagal and, and then about Screwface and all that so um, let's see what else and it's uh, it's yeah and that's like right before this is like the precursor to Predator 2 which comes out like the next year or the next month or so, uh, and I don't know if that's that's sim- serendipitous or simultaneously that they get the two that you know with similar plots so close together with you know predators fighting Jamaicans. Now, since I don't know when we're gonna ever come back to uh, Steven Seagal, I'm sure we will at some point. But it'll be some. I do. You do. Ha- I do have to recite this. Not my Steven Seagal story, but there's this Steven Seagal story that's been floating around for a long time. Uh, and I don't remember what movie it was or who who it originated from, but the story was they were on a movie and Steven Seagal comes out of his trailer. Yeah, and he's, he's crying. He's yeah. very upset in his eyes. And somebody sees him and says, "Are you all right? Like, what's going on?" He's like, "I just read the, I just read like the best script." 
the, the greatest script ever written. Really touched me. And the guy's like, oh, wow, like who wrote it? He's like, I did. <laughs> So that that's a story. That's, I don't know if it's an urban legend or what. What was, that, it, what was it? Do you know what the script was? I don't know. It's all called Under I mean, Siege. I think I heard Rob Schneider tell that story on Stern, but it wasn't his story. Like he had heard it from somebody else. That's great. Uh, and there is like a notorious uh, Saturday Night Live episode. Yeah, that, that, I that, saw that live. That, that never gets re-aired. Uh, ago. Yeah, he was on it, and I forget what he was promoting, and. Uh, it was 91, so maybe it was out for justice. And uh, he went on, and it was, it was just, yeah, it wasn't good. And, it, and I could, I, when I watched it live, I could tell he wasn't good. And then at the end, he did, they did do like a scene where he threw some, like a martial art where he threw some guy into something at the end of it. And it was really bad. And he was bad at it, but then you talk about behind the scenes, Lauren Michaels and everybody say that it was, he was really tough to work with, and he didn't like what the writers were writing, and he refused to do like a Hans and Franz episode that's traditionally Kevin Nealon and uh, Dana, Dana Carvey. And, uh, he, he, and then he didn't like he didn't like what the writers were writing. He called them idiots or whatever. And then it got so bad, you know, that uh, I, I didn't know that they don't re-air it. But I remember, like, the next year, which is they, they have in the Wikipedia where, like, I think Nicolas Cage was on. I didn't remember who it was, but I remember there was, like, a monologue, and then whoever it was went off and was, like, uh, really worried about how they were going to do when they go in the hall. And they meet Lauren Michaels, and Lauren Michaels is like, what's wrong? He's like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to be the bur- worst person that's ever been on. And, and then Lauren Michaels is like, no, that would be Steven Seagal, like a knock at, like, <laughs> yeah, last yeah. year. And um, and it's crazy because you think about everybody like la- like as we're recording this, Kurt Douglas has passed away. Last night they were playing an episode of Kurt Douglas hosting Saturday Night Live, and I was like, "Holy shit, Kurt Douglas was on!" You know, so yeah. you think about like sometimes there's so many people who've been on, you forget that sometimes well, it's been they have on a long time. Yeah, it's been on since what seventy three or seventy four. Hosted, yeah, it's like you know uh, you forget about all these people. So they've had some really zingers, you know, th- that have hosted. So. And then, you know, like I said, I met him when he was promoting that Lawman, and I really liked that show. I think it was great. It's, I, I work with a guy who's a cameraman who did a lot of reality TV, and he did, um, he was one of the people who worked on Trauma Life at the ER at the beginning. He produced it and was doing stuff. And he was explaining it to me because Blake and I met the creator of that show trauma life in the er because we did a remember we had a, our documentary class the woman she brought the other girl in to t- talk to us about sound engineering yeah and she had started that series and it, that that was from the late 90s it was a series where you'd be in the er and you'd watch as people come in and stuff like that and it was a really good show but what happened was the hipaa laws changed and with the hipaa law changing you had to have someone's permission to film them before Whereas afterward, they were trying to get people to sign off after the... So because all the laws change, you can't have any of those shows anymore. You have to have them sign off first. So um, that kind of finished the series. But my friend that I know, he worked on that. He worked on a show I love called First 48. He did a lot of different cities. And he did that lawman show. And he said, like, the downside is, like, if they had nothing to do... They would just drive around, you know, you run license plates and you try to find people, oh, we could pull him over. And that's what, that's what cops do anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, so they it's were not great television. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you're trying to find, and then, you know, you're, you have him pull over, Steven Seagal pulling over, you know. And then, you know, uh, when I met him, I was like, you know, I did a keto. And he was like, oh, really? And then we were talking to the host and we were like, you know, he was like, did, he said to the host, did you, did you tell him that you started a keto because of me? And we were talking about a keto and stuff like that. And I got a picture, which I can include. And you don't realize how tall he's like six. I think he's only billed as six four, but he's huge. I mean, I like yeah. I went up to like his chest. 
So he's a real tall guy, and then he he didn't look big necessarily. He was clean shaven, but he's just he's just a big guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he had one of these like black trench coats on that go all the way down to his knees. You know, and um, uh, he you know he was nice enough, to, and like you know, and then he had like a lot of people with him, and then he left. Uh, you know, there's some stories I won't I can't talk about on here. And uh, and then you know that show ended up getting canceled because the accusations came out, and then all these other things came out against yeah, him. Now, yeah. uh, most recently in years, uh, I don't know if they're right or wrong or whatever, but people have made you know some uh, uh, allegations against him, uh, which is you know I guess not our place to comment on. But and now he and then he had this other weird thing where he had that big mob case. Remember that where the the mob had he was getting uh, extorted by the mob because they gave him money for a movie and it was he was part of a, a FBI sting operation and he some people went to jail or whatever and then there was a contract on his life. This was like in the 2000s because yeah. he was doing the he was financing a lot of these directed DVD movies. And as we said now he's in I, I don't know if he's in Russia but he's or, but he's teaching over there he's doing stuff with I, Vladimir, um, Vladimir Putin. I'm gonna say maybe five years ago, I uh, came very close to opening for him at BB at BB King's. Oh, we should touch Blue, on Blues Club. We have to yeah. wrap up, but we should touch on his. You you did allude to before we said about him doing the song with Jimmy Cliff. Yeah, he's a, he's a, actually a pretty good blues guitar player and uh, you know singer in that style. Um, so he's he's actually a pretty decent musician, and he has at least one album. Um, and I actually like the album. To be honest with you, I mean, and not like, a, oh, this is so bad that it's good because it's Steven Seagal. Like, I think it's a genuinely good, yeah. <laughs> like blues rocky album. And I guess he has a band that he sometimes tours with. And a couple years ago, he was on tour and he played BB um, Kings. And I think I got asked if I would open for him, and I was like, yes, <laughs> like of course. But then the way the date, I don't remember why I couldn't. But I couldn't. Uh, Dude, I, couldn't, couldn't I couldn't do it. I was out of town or something, Ugh. and I was like, I was so bummed because I would have fucking loved to open for, yeah, for, for Steven Seagal. I would have got to meet him by backstage. Yeah. And, and yeah, you say he's a good guitar player. He plays the blues. He's got evidently a collection of blues guitars. He's got like uh, he has BB. He has all the Kings, BB, uh, Albert, and uh, Freddie. He's got like. Muddy Waters guitar, Jimi Hendrix guitar, all these different people yeah. who play. I mean, he's not like a virtuoso or anything, but he's solid. Yeah, <clears throat> and he's got two, what, two or three blues albums out. Yeah. And he's had Stevie Wonder's plays on one of his albums with him. Uh, we have this Jimmy Cliff. He did. He, he asked Jimmy Cliff. This movie was so big that they came out with a soundtrack for this album and all the songs on it. I know. I, I remember hearing like White Cloth Jean talk about doing something with yeah. him and how he's a good because he was a player. reggae fan so around this time that's how he got them to be on this score so this is a good solid movie it's legendary in the Seagology the Seagal lore as like one of his top movies I'd say this and like probably Under Siege people always talk about how, how they love and or the uh, Mark for, or the Out for Justice the one with the cue ball Bobby Lupo uh, which has a lot of great one-liners in that too, but th- this one is one I always people talk about. Um, you know, a legendary because of Screwface, and I, like I said, I think he's such a great villain. Be cool if they had a bigger backstory. Um, I do know that there are some kind of controversy because people don't like how the Jamaicans Maybe we could do a comic portrays. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, have have uh, Dark Horse do it and have like the Predators show up and stuff like that. So. Anyway, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, our, our venture into Steven Seagal land. Very fun. Uh, you know, very uh, better late than never. 
We've been talking about it since the inception of this podcast. So that was fun that we finally, you know, we knocked all, all the big players. Now, well, maybe we'll try to figure out a Bronson movie to do down the line, and we'll, we'll we've hit everybody, unless we do, like, Dudikoff and yeah. Billy Blanks Well, and stuff. you know, we should do Rapid Fire at yeah. some point, and we know we'll Brandon do the Crow Lee, yeah. at some point. Exactly. So, uh... Yeah, Marked for Death. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I hope we haven't ruined it for you. Uh, good times. Good revisit. Uh, I liked it. You know, it was fun. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in so many years. Uh, so it was fun revisiting. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. It was it, it was, was enjoyable. I, I liked it. Um, so Definitely it's a time capsule. Yeah. So it definitely brings up a lot of nostalgic memories. Yeah, you know, and then I always remembered that it was Danny Trejo running at the beginning. So when... Machete came out and then Sagal was the bad guy. I always was like, that's so cool. There's like, you know, the, it all comes around that like, and you think about that in the lore. I'm sure there's other examples that are much more better than this one, but yeah, yeah. you think of like he was a bit player back then and then he, then years later he's headlining a movie and then that's the bad guy, you know, and it was out of character for Sagal because Sagal's never kind of plays against type, you know, he's always mm-hmm. the same guy in every movie. But you know? uh, I would like to thank the selection of people that have reached out to us to uh, tell us one they're sad that we're doing less episodes but they, they're understanding and yeah. so we appreciate your support yeah yeah we like to thank people who have messaged us and to exp- you know they, they sympathize with us and they said you know better one than none you know and it, yeah. it's tough you know and we're you know we're who knows? we're dealing we yeah could, you know come back this you know, could be temporary we'll it's see just how a, it goes. you know we're just got a lot going on right now you know so uh you know once once we clear that out you know this year goes by we'll see how it goes but we're trying to strategically pick movies like that's why we did a kung fu movie for kung fu february um you know we got a great one next month coming out soon and you know maybe we'll have other extra stuff come out we had like i said the randy jurgensen one mm-hmm. came out last week the interview uh, check that out. Um, so in a way, you still have the same amount of yeah. You know, <laughs> so we're far, always here. So far, you have three episodes. Yeah, and we like to say, uh, you know, you can always get in touch with us. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Uh, you can message us. You can like our page. We have Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, the homepage. You could review the podcast on iTunes if you are. Apple Podcasts, if you yeah. s- so felt inclined. That helps us out a bit. You could also a little more check out book. Dion's book. I've got a book, Blood in the Streets, uh, which they said in this in the newscast. They said, there's been blood in the streets, or blood on the streets. They said something. I was like, yes, and I made a note of that when that woman that gives the backstory about the voodoo gang. Well-covered newscast. Like, yes! um, I, blood in the Streets is my book. It's on, uh, it's, it's on available paperback ebook audiobook it's on amazon wherever books are sold you can order it there if you like you know cop movies uh, historical fiction 70s crime films and books and stuff uh, you may like it so give it a give it a listen give it a look give it a read blake's got his book scored to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers uh, also in paperback and ebook uh, but it's available on amazon from other book retailers or you can order a copy from me directly at scoredtodeath.com and I'm just weeks away from handing in. By the time our next episode comes, yep. I should, I, I, hopefully, will have handed in the manuscript for the next Scored to Death book. That's exciting. And then a whole other can of worms and work starts <laughs> yeah. with the editing and and all the other stuff that goes into it. But the original draft will should have been handed in. That's great. So that's due later this year. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm working on my second book now, and I'm I'm almost done with my first draft, and hopefully mine will be out by the end of the year, too. Not a sequel to Blood in the Streets, but just another screenplay I'd written that I'm turning into a book with the 
hopefully we can eventually get these turned back into scripts and get these things made, these suckers. So um, that's Saga. always exciting. Saga! Listen here, Saga! <laughs> so uh, a little throwback to Joe Spinell last little week. Callback. The Nighthawks. So yeah, so check us out. The show is on iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Player FM, where you're listening to it now. Just about everywhere you yeah. podcast. So, you know, have give a look, tell your friends, let everybody know. We're trying to, you know, bump our numbers up as well. So please like our stuff online, share us, retweet us, comment. You know, if you have any requests, send them in the pike. You know, we're, we're getting our list together for 2020 uh, of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we'll be back very soon with an all-new episode that uh, hopefully we will not uh, let you down and you'll love. So until next time, later. Later.